Our new partner who I'm really, really excited to announce we are working with. Super, super stoked. Thank you, Angie Huberman, for this connect. It's incredible. Uh, AG1 Athletic Greens. I've been using them for a while. I have them every morning on an empty stomach. Basically, take one scoop and you put it into a uh, cup or glass or mug of eight ounces of cold water. And this is all your greens for the day. You're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. Every day I take this. It's so good for my digestion, my energy. It's simple. It's easy. I don't like taking a lot of vitamins. This has been really, really helpful for me. I've had a lot of stomach issues my whole life, and ever since I've been gluten-free and taking the AG1s, it's really helped me in my stomach in the mornings. I love it, and I'm so psyched that they're part of the One Life One Chance podcast. I'm sure a lot of people don't like eating greens, let alone drinking your greens, but I can tell you straight up, it's got a mild tropical taste, and the taste is actually really refreshing, and I really look forward to it each morning. Don't, don't think it's just going to be just straight bland. Um, it tastes really, really good, um, and it's good for you, so remember that. This one blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's incredible. Just one scoop, especially for musicians who are vegans or just musicians in general who want to get those daily greens. You can get the packets. It's incredible. I just gave some to my friend Derek from Sepultura. He traveled the whole entire world this summer, and he had, he had those every single day. He said it saved him. I bring AG1s with me when I travel. It helps me stay healthy. You know the deal. If you're on tour and you are uh, a picky eater, but you need to have your greens, sometimes catering doesn't have greens. Sometimes you miss the catering. Sometimes you miss the backstage food. Sometimes it's too late after the show to go get food that you like. So if you just have a, a scoop of uh, AG1s in your hotel room before you go to bed or you're in the hotel room at night and you're starving and you want something healthy, boom, life changer. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with some convenient daily nutrition. That's all you need. One scoop in a cup every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. This is it. I'm super psyched. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit drinkag1.com slash OLLC. That's drinkag1.com slash OLLC. Take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This is incredible. I love it. It's just basic greens. For me personally, this has changed my life tremendously. I'm not a junk food vegan. I don't eat a lot of fake meat, so I'm strictly, strictly greens. And this has been a wonderful, wonderful new addition to my life. So once again, visit drinkag1.com slash OLLC. That's drinkag1.com slash OLLC. Get one free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. That's drinkag1.com slash OLLC. Yo, yo, Liquid Death, thank you so much for hydrating all my guests, taking care of me and my family and my friends. Love your water, love your brand, love what you stand for, love what you give back to the community. If you want to learn more about Liquid Death and how it started, listen to episode 115 with the co-founder, owner, and creator of Liquid Death, Mike Cesario. Just a punk rock skateboarding kid from Delaware with a dream. It's an incredible story, incredible journey. So if you go liquiddeath.com slash Toby, you get free shipping on any items you order from liquiddeath.com. And if you want to get water, Liquid Death water, go to amazon.com. But for merchandise and other things that's not water, go to liquiddeath.com slash Toby and get free shipping. Thank you so much, Liquid Death. Death to plastic, murder your thirst, stay hydrated. You know, H2O saves lives. The pandemic just kind of 
come and go in my mind. Yeah, how do you, how do you sound? Do you sound okay? I think I sound great. All right, so. <clears throat> I can be louder if you need me to, but this is my right. soft. This is for people to listen to when they're in bed. In like a, in a moon, in like a yellow kind of orange glow bedroom. Nice, okay. Candle, um, candlelight. Welcome to the One Life, One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morris. Man, I don't even know how to do an intro for this guy. Um, this is four years in the making, if longer. This guy needs no introduction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my brother, Anthony Civarelli, man, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's really happening. I like to, uh, I'm fashionably late to this. You play hard to get. Well, yeah, Toby's been asking for about four years, and I usually just would say, I'm good. Or on like podcasts. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. My favorite thing is, uh, is I'm good. I'm good. That was my favorite quote. I forgot what year it was. But, um, dude, thank you for being here. Um, yeah. For the listeners, people know, uh, we have a long-time friendship for over 30 years. Uh, part of my life is living with you guys, and just so many things. But uh, you don't really do that many podcasts, huh? I try not to. Yeah. I don't feel like... Um, I don't know. You, you know, anything, I, I have shit to say, but like, we, you know, does anybody listen give to your a, songs? Anybody give a fuck or yeah. like, or come, you know, people come to shows and I find like that's a, that's a way you can talk shit and vent and get your point across. I think I'm a pretty open book and like, yeah, simple. Or people like listen to your lyrics or they know what you're about, but I mean, the band, the band is definitely has, uh, to do with like who I am a hundred percent as yeah. a person. You, even the, you know, we're just a hardcore like lyrics and songs shape you uh, and, yeah. and give you a belief system and stuff. So, I mean, I, but everybody knows. I, I think I, it's just like, oh yeah, that that guy, he does this and he does that and that's it. Yeah, but for, for the world that knows you of that, there's a world that I know you of as just being a really hardworking human with a really wonderful work ethic. Like when I first met you working a laundromat, you've never not worked a job. You've always been smart with your money. You own several properties. You were always really just in, and I'm not even sure because I met you after the fact of your schooling and how you grew up. I'm not even sure you went to college for any I, of this kind of stuff. I went, I did, but not for any of this stuff. I, I tried to be the only, I tried to be the first person in my family to even attend college. And I went to John Jay College of Criminal Justice for like a year when I was, I graduated school like a little bit early i was 17 when i started college i think or wow uh, 18 and i was there and i thought if everything went fucking pear shape and things didn't work out with uh, either working in a health food store or owning a health food store or music i would become a fireman because it seemed like a pretty sweet gig Sick. and uh and then there was they offered this thing fire science and i said okay maybe i can do that and be proactive but I wasn't great at that. And I remember being in a fire science class with like four grown ass men who were trying to like <laughs> further their careers in the fire department. And I had like bleach blonde hair and Vans shirt, like a Meyer Thread shirt on, and like wow. all these fucking wrist bracelets. And I didn't know what was happening. And uh, the teacher took a break one day. I was there for probably like three or four weeks in this class just making these men suffer. And the teacher left. And they all like literally got up, surrounded my desk, and they were like, hey, man, what the fuck are you doing in this class? <laughs> and I said, you know what, man? I have no fucking idea. Did you yeah. always want to be a fireman as a kid, too? No. Yeah. You know what my goal was when I was little? My own, the job that I thought was the best job ever because my dad had a friend named Joey Hot Dogs. Hot Dog Man. Mm. I was like, you stand outside all day. 
Yeah. You get free fucking hot dogs and you get paid. Yeah. That was a, that was like my six-year-old goal. <laughs> that was like a win-win. Johnny Hot Dogs? Joey Hot Dogs. On Joey Hot Dogs. He was, uh, my dad grew up in Ravenswood, which is now the Queensbridge Projects. Okay. So Joey Hot Dogs yeah. made an impression on me. And where in Queens were you born exactly? Uh, Jackson Heights. Jackson Heights. Uh, I was born in East Elmhurst Hospital. And your brother, uh, you have a brother named Vito? <laughs> I do have a brother named Vito. So just you two? No, my sister Laura. Oh, that's right. I have an old, I have an old, I have an old, I'm the, I'm the baby. But my and neither of them ever got into music or anything like that, like you're into? My brother, my, my sister was like more of like a disco queen era, kind of like a, like Saturday night uh, fever kind of vibe. Yeah. She'd go out dancing in clubs. Um, and then my brother was a metalhead, so he introduced me to a lot of good music. Um, when we were, you know, when we were kids, he's four years older than me, but he was a concert. He was a concert King, man. We had ticket subs all over the walls. He saw Sabbath. Wow. He saw Led Zeppelin. He saw, um, Van Halen before they even had a record out. He was into like Rush, the who just he got you into that kind everything. of stuff. Yeah. He got me into that. But, um, he, you know, he thought, well, you know, when we got into shit, he was, he didn't know what the fuck was going on. <laughs> <laughs> he he embraced it eventually, but he was just like he, he wasn't down to punk rock and that stuff. No, no, that was like he he was straight. He was like a rocker, but there's like a a style rocker where you're almost like a country guy, where you're just like mm. you're like this is you're doing this stupid and you were fucking weirdos. Yeah, but like <laughs> and but he was he was he was just who he was. He was yeah. a Queens guy, and then. Gave up any, you know, after high school, you just give up any hopes and dreams. You start working on a truck and then you get married and you, yeah. and you just suffer. It's a life of suff pure suffering. Fuck. <laughs> and how was it, how was it growing up for you? Like, how was it for you in school and how were you as a kid? Um, growing up in school, I went to a Catholic school and... If you ask Jimmy Perry, he would call... Jimmy Perry, yes, yeah, Jimmy if, Perry. If you, if you ask Jimmy Perry, he'd call me like a quintessential like freckle face redhead asshole bully kind of a person because wow. i was i was having issues at home so i would kind of mm. lash out um and at you know neighborhood kids in school and we, you know we were street we were just street kids and we were like smoking pot and drinking by 12 years old jimmy too wow and writing graffiti and doing what we were doing what was your tag name i had one was raid r-a-d-e until this uh, Puerto Rican dude from the Bronx who also wrote Raid came down to the park. We hung out, out with a gun and <laughs> to, to fucking shoot me. Are you serious? I was, but I wasn't there. And my friends were like, yo, this fucking dude came down. And I was like, what? I, yeah, take the name. I don't think we're. Wow. I'll just find another three or four letters to put together. And, and what was you want after? You Ming. Ming, okay. It was a Chinese restaurant that I saw, and I said, "Oh, that letters would look good together." Sick. So that was it. But that was, you know, that was kind of short lived. <laughs> Were you serious about graffiti at all? No, not really. No, not like uh, I was serious that you could. I actually just wrote ab about this, uh, but I, I was serious about it in a way where you could go hang out with, you know. Writers, break dancers. Yeah. My neighborhood was very segregated, and but you could cross that barrier. You could go hang out with like you know Puerto Rican dudes at at 85th Street Park. We hung out at 77th Street Park, so 85th Street Park was more for like handball and like the Spanish dudes and black dudes. So we'd go down there, and I always had a real affection for 
Spanish girls. And mm. so that was my thing when I was a kid. I always loved Puerto Rican girls. So Did you ever I, get to date a Puerto Rican girl? Oh uh, yeah. Cool. On like well, date, not date, but like side yeah, yeah. side hustle. Yeah. But <laughs> that was that was her thing too, so it was cool. But and it was great. But um so like you learned to play handball well. Oh yeah, it's you, a total New York thing. You yeah. learned to write and or break dance. I wasn't really good at break dance. I can dance, but not like break dance. And so I was in I could draw a little bit, so graffiti was my way in. So That's it didn't awesome. matter if you were you know, you you weren't like a fucking white boy, you know. Yeah. You just you just did your It was neighborhood shit too. It was, it was neighborhood yeah. shit, but our neighborhood was very like you stay out of my neighborhood, we stay out of your neighborhood. Like Bronx Bronxdale vibes. Very Bronxdale. Wow. That actually, yeah, that actually happened. Oh, similarities to that. That I've no, yeah, like that literally happened with me and my friend Jimmy Gibble when we were little. Okay. So you know. Wow. Yeah, that we we were like this kid. I'll tell I'll tell I'll tell a story. I was fucking like a little kid. I was like ten or twelve years old or some shit. We were in front of his house and we seen this kid, Spanish kid, riding his bike, and we were like, you know, what we were like taught to do. We were like wow. by like our our friends, our family, neighborhood. So we like started chasing him. And he just was on a bike, you know, but we felt like we were like the defenders of the, of the block. And then, you know, half hour later, this brown, it's like burned in my mind, this brown, <laughs> this brown duster with like jacked up back, Kreger wheels. And it was like, we're, you know, it was like, that's not, our, that's not, that's not a neighborhood car. Whose car is that? Yeah. It was, and it was across the baseball field, like from our school. And so we kind of started walking towards it to see who it was. And then we seen these four dudes in the car and the little kid who we chased was in the back seat and he just pointed at us and we were like, fuck. Damn. So we ran, they had to go around like three quarters of a, of a, you know, square block to get us, but we ran through the field into a church. Okay. And I don't know, thought it was like some kind of, you know, like hollow ground. Like you couldn't get beat up in a yeah, church. Yeah, we touch you in there. Yeah, we were fucking completely wrong. <laughs> Guy opened the door. We were hiding on the pews. He spotted us immediately. Right. They grabbed us up, pulled us outside. They were probably like, they were driving, so they were probably like 17, 18. You guys are how old again? Like 12. Damn. Punches me in the face. Punches my friend Jimmy Gibble in the face. And we're just like... You know, that's a big difference getting punched in the face by a 12 year old or 17 year old. Yes. So we were like instantly fucked up. And he was like, he pulled a knife, put it against her face, and was just like, yo, you chased my brother, blah, 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 blah. And we were, and he's like, you're lucky I can't hit you. I was like, you definitely just punched me in the face. What do you mean you can't hit me? So it was, it was some of the best street justice ever doled out. He made me kneel on top of my friend Jimmy's chest with his hands pinned mm -hmm. and punch him in the face. Wow. Yeah. Taught, taught us a That's fucking cool. serious lesson. So I, I was like, listen, dude, I'm sorry. And he was like, you fucking, he was, he definitely could have kicked my ass. And he was just like, if you punch me, I'm going to fucking kill you. I was like, this dude's got a knife. I'm punching you a hundred percent. Yeah. So I gave him like a little punch and the dude was just like harder. And I was like, yo, Gib, sorry. He was, he was Siv and Gib. He was Jimmy Giblin. So I was like, sorry, dude. I wanted to punch him in the face like five or six times. And then the dude was like, all right, now you punch him. So now I got beat up even worse because he's pissed that I punched him. Oh, yeah. So Jimmy Giblin punched the shit out of me. Holy shit. And then they left. And then we walked to Nick's Deli where we always hung out with bloody noses all fucking lumped up. <laughs> and they were like, they were like, what happened? And we're like, fucking dude just made us beat each other up. 
And they were Holy like, shit. what? We're like, forget it, man. Just give me like a quarter bug juice and we're just going <laughs> to. The sit. bug juice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my some, God. Had some blue drink and sat on the curb and kind of licked our wounds. So you're in the streets, like you're kind of trying drugs and alcohol at a young age. Yeah, because right? we were hung out with my brother's friends and they were older. Yeah. So it's like what they were doing at 16, we would do at like 12. Did your parents know you were out there kind of wilding like that? No, it was just, everybody was out. They just they didn't want us in the house to get the fuck out of the house. Come yeah. back come back when the light, street lights were on. Mm-hmm. You know, or we'd just eat dinner quick and run back out. And then you had a, you know, we had a curfew and shit, but it was like they didn't know what we were doing. And then what about in school? Did you, did you do good in school? No, not really. After I did good up until like eighth grade. Then eighth grade, I fucked everything up because I was doing shit. And <laughs> just, so about sports? Uh, no, I fucking, I couldn't give a fuck about sports. I played hockey because I could roller skate good, but that's from like going like roller disco shit. Like Sick. when I was a kid, like rock <laughs> skate. So I could skate, I could, I could skate backwards really good. So I was a defenseman mm. and you get to talk shit a lot. Like, oh shit, he's gonna, <laughs> he's got a breakaway. Oh, and you take the puck and you're like, ah, and then you get in a fight, whatever. <laughs> you could be a dick in hockey. Um, so it's then you graduated, obviously. Were yes, you, were, I, you, went to, you, I went to I went to school in Queens called Monsignor McClancy Memorial High School. It was an all boys school at the time. Then they let girls in after we left. But it was just like a bunch of you know fucking dickheads from like Broad Channel, Rockaway, Bayside, from Jackson Heights, Astoria. So all boys school. Wow. All boys. So and then Catholic school before that. Yeah. Did, were you going to church? Were your parents pretty religious? We did that. We did that. My dad wasn't into it. My mom tried to be into it. So we yeah. would have to go when we were little, but they it, that shit fell off. And then me and my brother, one time, they, they would make you, they'd give you an envelope to take to church as like a donation. Like yeah. the church would shake you down for, your parents would have to pay for school, but then you'd get shaken down for additional money to, yeah. like, to go to church. <laughs> and we, me and she sent me and my brother one time. We were really little. We were probably like 12 and 8. And he was just, you know, the church was right near the park that we hung out at. And my brother was like, hey, yo, you want to go to church? And I was like, fuck no. And he's like, I got this money right here. So we went to Pat, we went to Nick's Deli and we yeah. got, and we got heroes. We got like ham and cheese heroes <laughs> and like, in like a, in two yoo-hoos. And we went to, and we went to the park and we thought we were good. We were like, this is genius. Like we figured it out. And yeah. then, but then the church, they check mm. and the count was off. So wow. they called my house and said, hey, we didn't get your donation. Yeah. So we got the fucking brakes beaten off us. We, you know, they beat the shit out of us for stealing money from the church in Damn. their minds. But then it just kind of stopped after that. And then how old were you when you get your first job? I started working at that laundromat, um, I think, like on weekends when I was like 14. Okay. And I worked there on and off until I think I got the, yeah, I was, I had that job until i was 18 i think i was wow. working when i me that's and, when i met you yeah yeah. And me and walter working. had the, i was still working there walter worked there too no he didn't work at all damn <laughs> that dude hates work so your exposure to skateboarding and punk rock like how did that come into your life uh just from i guess danny zick uh danny zick, yeah, we yeah. got into new wave because new wave girls were you know attractive yeah and uh we were into that and then we were looking for a new thing, and uh, so we got into like U two and shit like that. The Cure, Depeche Mode, whatever. Yeah. Like like a lot of girl bands shit. So we mm-hmm. Duran Duran because of it. And did you have like a flock of seagulls kind of haircut? Or anything? I did. I had. What? I had. You no, know, I was more of a Tony Hawk. Okay, yeah, the little skater. Yeah, sick. It was like a, a red shaved up. 
Yeah, Sonia, my friend Sonia Radovich, she took us, because we were like, we were trying to be cool, but we didn't know how to do it. And she was like, all right, I'm going to bring you idiots to Astor Place. Get and your haircut. And he got a haircut for five bucks. So yes. it was like shaved up fades with like a little bit on the front. And she was like walking back and forth like, mm-hmm, okay, good, you're good, you're good. <laughs> Flat top, all right. Tony what? Hawk, good, you. Were there a lot of people skating in Queens at that time? Like street skating? No, it was if you were, you know, who, you know who was the first person that I saw skating in the neighborhood was Chuck Valley from, okay. from Murphy's Law. Wow, okay. And Chuck used to skate. I used to work at laundromat, and his mother used to do her laundry there, and he would come and help her bring her bags out of the laundromat, and he would skate. Nice. And I'd never seen nobody like Chuck. Was just like it was a wild-looking guy. He just was like, he had to be punk. He mm-hmm. was just kind of crazy looking. Yeah. And he had like he had like big sort of like low droopy eyes and a shaved head, and he would wear like sweatpants pulled up to his knees and. He cool was style. Cool style, just like a weird like, but it was like, what the what's this guy's fucking deal? Mm-hmm. You know, he was like one of the first punk guys. We ever saw in like our neighborhood and then anthony Kamanali was he skated too right yeah he would skate ernie was really good at skating oh yeah and uh and i mean chunks too yeah 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 Jim, timmy chunks was good johnny would skate we would skate more for like uh transportation because yeah. i had to get from i had to get from my neighborhood to their neighborhood so i would skate i would like skating like dock shoes or like fucking creepers and shit Sick. just to like get over there what kind of board you remember your first board it was a complete poser board it was called the locals only and it had the like plastic <laughs> yeah. to safeguard the trucks yes. yeah, yeah yeah and then someone gave me some sort of a vision one and i i made like zebra grip tape on like a white boys painted it sick but it was i wasn't good at skating we, nah nah i just we Ollies never and shit tricks like um, like like fucking like weak ass like slides hand down slides. Those are cool. Or like standing slides you could pull off once in a while. You know, watch this. I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking stop sliding on my tail. Like that was a <laughs> trick. And jumping off of shit. You know, flip the board up, jump off of shit. But nothing really good. Were you watching like the Bones Brigade videos? And all that <laughs> no, shit? I didn't give a fuck. It was more like just Damn. getting back and forth because it was like that shit was out of reach. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not going to be like, I'm what, you know, I could barely fucking ollie up a curb. So I'm not like watching Bones Brigade going like, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's attainable. Yeah. <laughs> I could do that. Well, you went to punk rock on the same time? It come hand in hand? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Skateboarding, skateboarding only came because of my car corn punk rock. Because mm. that was, in our neighborhood, that was not cool. That was, a, yeah. that was like, all right, I don't know why this skateboarding is going to get you beat up, but it's going to get you beat up. I'm not sure why you, I'm angry. Me and Walter was one time we were Walter was skating in Astoria and we were just like on this weird like industrial area skating from someone's house to do something and these fucking guidos drove by and I was in front and I just seen this guy lean out the window with a gun and oh, I shit. said fuck and I bailed and as I bailed it was a pellet gun and I bailed between cars and he went Poof! and he fucking shot Walter in the arm <laughs> and it went it went like through like it hit him like near his tricep but it went like just hit the skin he went in one side and went out the other and he was just like ah like went down and i was like holy shit jesus christ so and they were just like you know faggots yeah, and people hate escape they hated everything we were like punk you know yeah. and they just wanted to kill us <laughs> for just look just we just aggravated people i don't know why it's such a big threat people were so taken back by it you know and they then skateboarders they hated punks they hated skate guidos hate it but they would. That's all they would yell at us. Every everything in school, everything. 
everything was that. Who who, uh, who got you into punk rock? And but stuff? wait, but the best yeah. thing, the best part about that is like we were like looking at his arm, and my dad was a truck driver, and he happens to be driving down the street, and he sees us. No way. And he stops, and he's just like, "What happened?" I was like, "Fucking Guido just shot us with a BB gun. They shot Walter in the arm." So he looks. He's like, "I went right through." He's all right. And then we were like, "But well, that's fucked up." He's just like, "Well, what do you expect? Look at the way you look." And I was like, "That you're defending them for shooting shooting us." And he was just like, "Well, you know, how crazy did you guys look? Not you know, crew cuts, bleach blonde hair, yeah. like stupid, you know, like dickheads." It's crazy skaters. what was shocking back then compared to what's really crazy now. Like. Yeah, just even wearing Vans back then was shocking, or like yeah. a, a different color shirt, or like creepers. Forget it. I know. You might as well have just asked everyone to beat your ass. <laughs> did you um? Did you have any like? What were like your aspirations when you wanted to leave high school? What did you zero? Nothing about music either. <laughs> Don't play music or anything. No, I had no aspirations to do music Damn. ever. Just gonna have a job, get a family, just be like. I didn't know. I life. I was into. I was already vegetarian. Yep. And I worked at a health food store after that. I mean, yeah, the what, band what, what, was cool because I we we were already doing the band, and I thought like. That's right. Okay, like this is cool, but even the band, like, I never wanted to play music. I was out of spite. Remember Gus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gus was. We were walking. Just had met Walter. He had just moved to Astoria. Did you meet Arthur in like a school in Long Island? Or no, we went to school together. Okay, okay, that's okay. And uh, he was the other, the other punk guy. Or there's like five or six of us that went to like hardcore yeah. punk. But Arthur was one of them. And he was in like, but he was like, uh, he, he, I don't know how he survived it either. That's a fucking school because he's not like a, a mean person. No, you have to be a mean person to survive high school. I think in that in that era. But yeah. He would just laugh everything off, and he was in band, and he okay. played 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 bass and guitar, and he was like a music guy at least, so he survived. But um, we, I met Walter. He moved from Ohio, and he moved to Astoria, and he met Arthur and those okay. guys, and they brought him around one night, and we were eating at, we were like hanging out on Northern Boulevard, and we were at Burger King. Right, and it actually wound up right where we lived. Wow, okay. And we were we were having fucking some shit over there. And he was like, you know, I play guitar. I got, you know, I want to write some songs. I'm going to start a band. And it was like the first night we met, I think. We just got along. And uh, well, the and then he was like, you want to sing? And before I could even say anything, Gus was like, I'll sing. Mm. And that was enough to trigger my assholeness. And I just was like, you know, one fucking asked you. Yeah, I'll sing. Yeah, and he's like, "You don't want to sing." I said, "No," but now I do because you just tried to jump my <laughs> shit. <laughs> so I'm gonna sing out of spite. And uh, and I was like, "Yeah, man, I'll sing." And Have I you never sang before. No, nah, I sing "Journey in the Shower" like a motherfucker. Sick. <laughs> yeah. I get to sing high, but um, <laughs> but that was you know that was that was the birth of it. And then we just did like garage band stuff with some like neighborhood guys. Ernie helped us a bunch because he lived. He would. You know, he he liked Minions and he liked uh, music and he saw, he was into like having like, you know, younger like brother band kind of things yeah. or people to play with. But yeah, he would sit in on drums and like help um, with like arranging songs and give us, give us tips and hype us up. Yeah. But and like, what was like your inspirations for singing at that point? Just fuck these guys to do it. Just not none. The first couple of things I would I didn't even understand that you couldn't like like the song was going and I would just fuck up and just start right back from the beginning. And they'd be <laughs> like, Hey man, you know, you gotta catch up and 
and you know start singing again where you should be and i was like what i would face the wall mm. i uh yeah i'm not really I even your first consider myself live you played you wouldn't face the crowd or no? no i faced the crowd then but uh, you know in the garage it was like it took me a few practices to turn around yeah i wasn't ever I, you know i'm still i don't think really consider myself music i love in those first recordings even with your voice it cracks it, it just is something about it. this i don't know i, I love it. i love that shit. i think it was mm-hmm. just trying to we were just trying to i didn't know anything i didn't know who i was trying to sound like or i wasn't trying i was just singing it was just my voice but it was just trying to push it yeah and then it would crack and i would just go whatever and then people say oh that sounds cool like you really your voice cracked and i was like yeah because it's just it hit the limit yeah and that's it but i mean when you when you guys came out with that for the first seven it's just it was definitely like a breath of fresh air i think for what was happening in the new york park with all the sounds and even just the name of your band just what you guys represented and it wasn't a preachy band it wasn't a tough band it wasn't this it was just your own thing i just I, yeah i, it I mean fun. it's it's, it's weird it's weird when people talk about it like what it meant or what yeah. it seemed because you're in it totally and or it's like what did you guys think was going to happen and i was like i i didn't think anything i was mm-hmm. just thinking you know we were thinking day by day get through the day and we had aspirations like i'd be like yo you think we're going to do a demo tape and they'd be like, and Walter would be like, fuck yeah, we're gonna do a demo tape. Yeah. But that meant you could play CBs. Okay. And we sold them up to some records. It's like almost like the audition to get into CBs. They have to have something out You have to have, yeah. Yeah, well, if you played and 10 people were singing along or five of your friends knew the words, like that was pretty huge. Good, yeah. <clears throat> and then if you were really balling, you were gonna get a seven inch. And then if you, that, that meant you could play like, you know, a bigger club like the Ritz or something. Or it's like an opening band. Yeah. And then if you had a 12 inch, forget it. That was like you, the Academy Award. You, yeah. you made it. <laughs> you were done. What was uh, the first show you went to? Remember your first punk show? It was a band. We went for Danny Zick's birthday. I think it was his like 16th birthday. And we went to CB's and we thought it was 24 hours slam dancing like at CB's. But we went at night and the chairs were up and the tables were up. Wow. And it was like these fucking Navy guys there with like studded gauntlets on their wrists and stuff. What? And they had makeup on and we were like, these guys fucking start slamming. Like we're going to slam. <laughs> we're going to slam the shit out of these guys. Night. And there was a band called Woofin' Cookies. And yeah, we went the wrong night. We didn't know. Damn. But there was no internet. There was no yeah. information. <laughs> and this is before we met Anthony. Okay. But I think one of the first shows we went to was AF. Mm. And I don't even know if that one we walked into because we were so fucking scared. I walked down, we walked down Bleecker and you could see CBs from Bleecker. Yeah. And we were like two or three blocks away and you could see a crowd outside on the street. And it was like all fun and games and punk until we got about a block away and we saw everybody and i was just like oh i don't i don't know if i could do this so we got to the corner where the deli was and some dude i I can't remember who the guy was but he like ran out in the street laughing like a skinhead no shirt on like flipping somebody off and then alexa came out with a half drunk bottle like 40 and she ran into the street and just threw this fucking 40 at him as hard as she could. Wow. Like, you know, traffic, just people. Yeah. And he ducked and it smashed on the floor and she was like screaming. And I was like, Yo, fuck this. These, these girls can kick my ass. Like, <laughs> yeah, get me this out girl of here. just threw a fucking 40. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I don't think. So I think we might have, we like leaned against the wall near CB's like that first time. And 
it took it took a little it took like a day or two a couple of visits to go inside yeah and we met other other nerds that didn't know anybody and like they kind of like rolled up like your first time here and we were like yeah you stay with you guys yeah stay with us walking with us yeah coming with us we know the people not to like look at or bump into or yeah i mean this is when characters you'd go there and like billy psychos there you know what I mean? And like Wrecking Machine and Rabies. And he's just tied up with shaved heads, all that stuff. Yeah, with fucking white white pride on the back of his arms. And like everyone's got tattoos. Not Fuck. everybody. But like, you know, just a couple of tattoos were crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we look, we're fucking look ridiculous now. But I mean, back then, like, I remember Timmy Chunks had like four tattoos. And we were like, yo, this guy's out of control. <laughs> he's got to calm down. He, you, he did have some old school ones. Remember that? Yeah, he had, like the, wizard he had the wizard sir, uh, skating. He had a wizard doing a hand plant. Yeah, he was going. He was probably going to Peter Tattoo or something before us or something like he that. He went to yeah. Marguerite. Damn, Marguerite. Yeah. yeah, Marguerite crushed it on him. He had some. Jay Crackdown had Genghis Khan riding like a Frazetta painting. Like a, really, he had Genghis Khan like in the clouds, like riding a horse with like a battle axe or sword on the middle of his chest. Damn, that was like the style back then. It's like a crazy kind of oh, yeah, so, and dragons and stuff. Oh, yeah, and Harley's chess piece is completely insane. Were you doing art in school, like writing and drawing and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, I used to, like, well, graffiti started, and then it was like just, you know, drawing, bullshit, copying stuff. But no, I never went to art school or anything. I my, I had this this uh, neighbor, and he was, uh, I don't know what the politically correct thing is, a, a little person. He was... Okay. And he was a, uh, it was a Colombian family lived next door, and he was this amazing artist. And uh, he, you know, would talk to me about art, and we draw, and I'd show him drawings, and he was super like hyped up on it. And um, he came over one night, and you got a picture of my parents in the kitchen with <laughs> with Freddie, <laughs> the <laughs> Colombian little person, talking, hyping it up so that I could go to art school. Oh wow. And they were like, yeah, yeah, okay. And he was like, you know, I can help him get a portfolio together. And this is like for art high school. Believe in you. Uh, he did. He was he was one of my first champions, <laughs> Freddie. And uh, and uh, and he left. And I was like, you guys serious? Like I can? And they were like, no, you can't fucking go to art school. He's gonna go to the school and down the street like everybody else. Get the fuck out of here. Damn. So I was like, that was cool. I believed it. Because <laughs> they were selling it to Freddie, so I was like, "All right, I'm going to go to art school," but I didn't. Um, <laughs> so you guys, you put your first demo tape out, mm-hmm. and then were you guys playing a bunch of shows before you dropped the demo? Like the first? No, our TV first show? show was James Newberry's, who actually was in the house with us. Remember James? Yeah, James. Um, he had a birthday party in the bottom of his apartment building, in the basement of his apartment building. Damn. And uh, Danny Doyle was there, Timmy Shafalis, Gus, Danny, and then the word got out, and um, we wound up getting Lou sick of it all. Devil and Mike Schmegma came. Wow. And Barbara Ann. I think Anthony was probably there. Probably had like four or five songs, and we set up in a basement, and our like you know five of our friends were like slam dancing, and uh, that was our first show. Like eighty six or eighty seven. 86 Wow And then I think 86 And then Token Entry Did an 86 Tour But it was not Really a tour It was sort of like They just drove Across the country And tried to like Find things to do mm. And they made it to California I got a burp From my liquid death drink okay, I just did a commercial 
Thank uh, you for the commercial. I just did a free commercial. Liquid Burping death. out your Crossroads kitchen. Crossroads, yo. Just shout out to Tal. Thank gluten, you, Tal. 10 things of gluten-free food from Tal, and I'm drinking liquid death, and I'm burping like a motherfucker. <laughs> I haven't started farting yet, so we're good. It's okay. But, um, yeah, so we played our first show. Uh, we got a call from Ernie. They were traveling back, and they booked a show at CB's, a matinee with JFA. Damn. And they put on their other brother band, Johnny Steigerwall's brother, had a band, a story band called the New York Hoods. Yep. And then they put us on to open. And we had to think of a, we had to come up with a name to put on the flyer for the Village Voice flyer that they did, those black and white long flyers. Yes. And we didn't know what to call the band. And we were sitting on like a stoop in Astoria. And I said, Gorilla Biscuits. But that's what we used to call Quaaludes, Lemon 714s. Um, and everybody laughed and said, okay. And then it was like, oh, we could always change it. It's just for the, you know, flyer. Yeah. I wish I said something cooler. <laughs> but, so but, that's what they call them in the neighborhood. That was like the name of a certain kind yeah, of Yeah, they were yeah. so big. They were, this is when, like, back when my brother was, you know, uh, doing his thing, they were, they were still able to get those. Okay. Because they were like prescription. But they were big pills and they said Lemon 714 on them. Wow. And they were, they nicknamed them Gorilla Biscuits. Wow. But it yeah, just worked. It's I, I, yeah. Sometimes when like a, a like a civilian, like a normal adult, asks me a in name, this life, yeah, and like a normal, like a parent, like a parent at school, <laughs> like my private school parents, like, oh, I heard you playing a band. And I'm like, not really. Like, <laughs> I do, but it's you. You don't. You wouldn't like it. It's punk rock. You don't. Yeah. You don't want to. Don't don't ask me the name. Please don't ask me the name. And then they Google you. And then they Google it when you're standing there, and you're like, fucking kill me. But yeah. Unless it's Limp Biscuit, then oh yeah, I'm like the guy from Limp Biscuit likes it. <laughs> it is weird, like you're surveying, like trying to tell your parents what you do, why I do this music, and yeah, it's interesting. Uh, both my options are embarrassing for uh, you know people That's like finance. I, I'm like sitting here with like finance people at bankers, and I'm like, I I'm a tattooer and I play in a band. Yeah. And they're just like, really? That's cool. And I'm like, I guess you guys don't think this is cool. But they actually, some of them do. They do. I think a lot of people like they, not the grass isn't always green, but you see, oh, I like, to, I like, I never like to do that type of life, like another nine to we, five or whatever. We actually had, yeah, we actually had this. We, um, when our 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 daughter went to school, it was much different than when my older daughter went to school, and um, the parents were cooler and. Um, we made friends with this woman that was doing like an art thing and she came over and she was like, yeah, I want to be friends with the cool parents. And we were like, who, who are the cool parents? <laughs> and, and she's like, you guys, and my wife's like, we're the cool parents. I'm like, all right, we'll fucking take it. Yeah. We're cool. That is cool. Yeah. Like you like the tattoo guy at the school or. Yeah. Uh, but I used to serve food at my son's school. They call me the tattoo man. And yeah. Stuff. yeah, yeah. Mary, Mary said there was another tat tat dad picking up the other day and now i feel like tat i got dad. i got beef I, yeah I, hey hey champ you got i'm the tat dad of the school you got to go How somewhere else you have your tats yeah, yeah yeah we can't have two tat dads <laughs> i'm not into it so you're still working when you're still working when gb starts playing though obviously um. Oh, yeah. Because after how do you laundry, think, what were we doing at the laundromat after how, that? How do you think we practiced? Do you think well, anybody you, wait, else? Wait, yeah. So when did you start tattooing? What year was that? Because I know I was a guinea pig a couple of times. I, you were a guinea pig many times. You loved apartment. You love free tattoos on <laughs> Avenue B. <laughs> Avenue B in your apartment. You stack Fern, Puerto Rican Mike. And uh, Kev One hung out there. Tom Conan hung out there. Wow. Rick to life came came through. <laughs> 
dude. Yeah, that was the deal. Cast it was like characters. you guys, you guys get free tats forever if you really practice, and you guys were like sold in. <laughs> Let's do it. What, how, what, what year was that? That was that. Well, that was because I started doing that because G. I was working and GB broke up in '92. That's right. So I started tattooing out of the apartment in '92. I I went to Jersey. I went to this dude Josh's house with this other dude, and I probably said dude a hundred times right already. So sorry about that. It's but okay, dude. thanks, dude. So I went to Jersey and I talked to this dude. He was like a skinhead guy, and I said, "Hey, would you show me what's up?" I remember him from shows, and I was like, he opened the door, and I was like, I kind of knew it was him, and I was like, oh, man, I think this guy's a dick, uh, and he looked at me, and he was like, oh, this guy's a dick, like, I know this guy. Oh, we man. both kind of looked at each other like, mm. but I came in, we had like a dude, a mutual guy between us, and then when we became friends, I said, yo, man, why are you always staring at everybody crazy, like at shows? He's like, I don't stare, I said, you're like scowling, making faces, looking at everybody hard, you're like a skinny guy. And he's like, no, nah, man, I just can't see. I need glasses. I said, you should get fucking glasses, man, because like someone's going to punch you in the face. Wow. And he was like, really? I said, yeah. Everyone thinks you're a complete asshole. Everybody <laughs> thinks you're like hard, looking hard at everybody. And he's like, fuck, all right, get, I'm going to get glasses. <laughs> but he he showed me how to set up a machine. Um, and he said, draw something. Tattoo yourself here. I'll tattoo you. And we'll see where it goes. Wow. So I did that. And that's always the test, like tattoo yourself. And I was like, I don't care. So I tattooed myself. Were you myself. thinking about it before GB was going to break up? I had getting tattooed already. Yeah. And I thought I could step into those shoes and I thought I could be good at it. Yeah. But I never thought that hard about it until my life has always been like saying yes at the right time. Saying yes at the right time and the power of no is mm. two things I like to live by. And spite, but power of <laughs> power of yes is real. And so when he when I got offered to go and watch this guy tattoo because it was underground, there was no shops in any of the boroughs. It was illegal in New York. Yeah, I remember that. So that didn't change until ninety six or seven, I think. So I was uh, so I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll go to Jersey. So I went. I remember Henry Rollins was on Dennis Miller that night. Okay. That was the exact night that I went to learn how to tattoo the first time. So, yeah, he taught me, and then I went back to my apartment, and one of Mike Madrid's friends, like a sloth crew kind of offshoot guy from California, his name was Archuleto or Archie, he got my number, and he called me on, like, my landline. That pink, I had this pink landline, and he was like, um, hey, I'm friends with this dude and this dude. Like, I want to get tattooed. And I said, oh, I know a dude. I know a guy in Jersey. And he was just like, no, nah, I want you to do it. And I said, I don't know how to tattoo, man. I tattooed myself like yesterday. Yeah. And he goes, I don't care. I trust you. And he was like a hardcore guy. Damn. So I tried to like talk him out of it. And I said, all right, hang on, man. Give me a number. I wrote like on a piece of paper on the wall or something. I called Josh. I said, this guy wants me to tattoo him. And he was like, you don't know how to tattoo. I said, I told him. <laughs> he don't care. And he paused and he said, you know what? Fuck it. You got to practice on somebody. All right. So Damn. we went, me and Archie met up. We went and I did this. He, he asked me to draw like a tribal, like Thunderbird kind of thing. Sick. I drew it, filled the whole thing in with like a liner. Probably took like three fucking hours, but I, he became a tattooer. 
and I would see him at the Queen Mary convention. And every year he'd come up behind me and go, uh, can you touch this up? <laughs> I wouldn't even turn around. I said, I think solid, man. And I turned around to be him. He's like, it is solid. So it was never, pretty solid. Yeah. We never touched it up and wow. he's, I have pictures of it somewhere, but that was my first one. And then what's your first tattoo? Was it Griller? Griller my first one was uh, the Griller um, from the seven inch. And who did that? Was that Cindy? Cindy. Shout out to Cindy, man. She's still killing it. It's awesome. Man. Yes. Pure tattoo. She's in um, Ohio now. I think she's in Cleveland. Yeah, she's a bunch of the alleyway dragons. Just a bunch of stuff we got back she then. She killed it. Yeah. I wonder who drew my Griller. That that was Bevan, I think. Bevan, that's right. Barbara Ann's boyfriend at the time. Wow. Bev, okay. Bevan. I was trying to figure that out because... Tim Singer had just posted a picture that said that he tagged me in the drawing of the original drawing of it. Yeah. Okay. So it's oh, that's bad. weird. Okay. He had the, yeah. Tim Singer had the original drawing. Yeah. We just we just actually reconnected. We had I, we he was he was cut off for me for years. Okay. We yeah. Had, I reconnected him on social media. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We had we had beef for a while and then we actually talked the other day. Like nice. not well, DM'd. Okay. I know. So I let a grudge go. How about that? <laughs> Imagine that shit. <laughs> I'm getting very mature. Do do you do you hold a lot of grudges in your life? Oh, I love grudges. What, I do, you li- what do you like about them? Uh, <laughs> warm and fuzzy feeling to give you. <laughs> well, you don't. It, it's you a, like it's it it, there's no gray area. It's uh-huh. black or white. You're just like, nope, that guy. I'm done with that person. You cut him off like that. I, not really. I don't hold too many. Only if it's like necessary. But it's easy to cut people off and shut them out. No, not really. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it if I have to, <laughs> if it's, or if it's funny. I think you're more of a ball breaker than a grudge holder. Uh, yeah. I'm more You've just... You've always broken balls. You're really good yeah, at breaking balls. I'm good at breaking balls, but it really does come from somewhere where I'm just like, you know, I'd like to just tell you to fucking fuck off, but I can't, so I just break your balls. Because you, because you do care. I Keep ca- down inside. Yeah, I care. You're trying to... Don't, you don't have to take this podcast to make me look like a, a normal, nice person, though. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get Moon in here, and she'll tell the um, truth. How, how much... Remember the time you loaned me money? It was like a couple hundred bucks? No. You loaned me, you loaned me like two or three hundred dollars one time, and then... Uh, I didn't, and then Moon helped me pay it back to you for like a year or something later, but you broke my balls about it. But I paid you back, so thank you for that. Oh, ain't, 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 well, Moon probably paid me back, you lying <laughs> motherfucker. No, she helped me pay you back. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. she helped you by paying the debt. I remember I worked at the, uh, the recording studio where um, Bart, Bat, Mark Siegas had like Oh, a, you worked at... Uh, yeah, I, I would like... Wait, I'm going to remember the name of it. Bell, Bell Studios. Bell Studios, where you would rehearse and Youth of Today and all other bands would come in there, Bad Trip. Yeah. Now I do all the times and let me book all the time oh my God, sessions. That's so and funny. Shit. Yeah, that was kind of close to where we lived, right? Yeah. Yeah. You the would, GB house was sick too. Like for the yeah. listeners, somehow I went from Timmy Chunk's house to Arthur's house with his <laughs> with his dad and sister into the GB house with you, Alan Cage, and Walter. I lived well, in the closet. Well, I remember we met at a show at the Anthrax, I think, and we drove yeah. you home. Okay. And Toby was even more emotional then than he is now. <laughs> He's very sensitive. <laughs> and he moved to he moved to Astoria with Timmy Chunks and he was like, Oh man, they're doing drugs and smoking pot. I'm straight edge of drinking. I can't live there, man. I can't even sleep. And you had you had like a bag of clothes and like your skate trophies. <laughs> That's what Toby moved to New York with, like a bag of clothes and, and and skate trophies. And we were like, you brought your skate trophies? Yeah, man, I won them. County, Jenny. 
but I did. I know I, I left him. I never found him after that. Yeah, you remember you were me and you were in the back seat, and this is how we bonded. He was crying about his ex girlfriend in the county in the back seat of somebody's car driving home. We were like, "All right, man, stop crying. Just you can live with us." And all my Thrasher magazines, I left him at Dave Stein's. <laughs> you lost some stuff quick. I had all my Thrasher magazines. I never going to back after that. Yeah, it's fucking whack. But the GB house was sick. Like. <laughs> It was just so fun living there and just like we had weights in Alan's room and oh my God. Murder we, King. And Toby, we were, we, were, we were trying to be like strong and we, were, <laughs> we listened to Metallica, uh, like Ride the Lightning and we lift weights and t- we had no uh, weight locks on the locks and Toby <laughs> would do it as hard as he could. Then he, the weights fell off one side and he put the entire bar through the fucking wall with oh, the weights shit, on it. That's right. It dragged down like four feet. When I when I left the apartment, the guy came to do a walkthrough, and I put a stand-up mirror against Dude, that you hole. Did that, yeah. And he, uh, we we fucked that apartment up, and I just hit everything. We had like cigarette burns in the rugs from a party. I put like suitcases over it. The mirrors were broken in the in the bathroom. I slid them over each other. How long do we live there for? You think? I think it was only a year. It just seemed like forever. It's so a much. Year, have, yeah, a year. Tons back. of bands were staying there. Chain like, of strength, bleacher in the hair there. Just crazy people running through that house, man. Yeah, there was a lot of shit going on. It was every night there was something going on. I, th- I think it must have worked like in the city at that point. Oh, yeah, Myers Research Center with Arthur Smilios as their inner office coordinator. <laughs> wow, my staples and posters. Myers Research. <laughs> yeah, I said, well, yeah this, this guy, Austin, yeah, with whole crew over there. It was by 40th Street. That was my first real job working in Manhattan with Arthur. That's big time. Did you have to wear like a tie or a button-down no, shirt? No, not really. Like whatever. And I think you were at the, the health food store at that point, I'm thinking. Yeah, I, I think probably, yeah, when I was working there, I think Alan Cage worked at um, Prana or him, or yeah, he worked Prana. at Prana. Dude, Prana, everybody worked there. We got laced up going there, man. And then when I worked at Down to Earth, it was like, you, right. you guys are going to go broke. Everybody Did Purcell work there too? Was that a different place? He did for a little while. Walter worked there for like a day. Oh, yeah. Walter, I got a job at the juice bar, and the dude from the, the Warriors showed up. What? From the movie? Yeah, the little dude. And Walter put on four plastic cups on his fingers. And the guy was like waiting to order a juice. And he turns around. And he's like, ring, ring, ring. And he's like, warriors, come up to play. <laughs> what did the guy do? Turned around, walked out. Oh, shit. And it was like, yeah, I was being funny. And it was like, I can't do that shit. And then years later, like 20 years later, I was in a Whole Foods in LA. And that dude was there. Really? And I said, yo, man, <laughs> I used to work at Down to Earth on you told me 7th, 7th Street. No, I didn't know. Okay. I figured he would just walked away from me. I just said, you used to come in and get juice at Down to Earth at 7th Street. I used to work there as a juice bar guy. And he was just like, oh, shit, I did. Blah, blah, blah. And I said, I love your work too, man. And the dream, it was like some dreamscape. And then uh, I said, The Warrior is my favorite movie. And he was like, thank you. And I, you know. Oh, that's cool. You made it all good. Yeah, I was just I tried to be normal. Which guy was it from the movie? The dude who shot fucking Cyrus. Mm. He shot Cyrus, man. Oh that yeah, dude. that's such a hard movie. No, best movie ever. That and the that and the Wanderers made. That's like that's how I wanted life to be. The mm. Warriors and the Wanderers. Was there a time in New York? Remember, we had the Warriors vibe, like with the subways and all that stuff. Like oh yeah, super graffiti. Dub we and- had a. We used to have this thing. There was this ritual at my grammar school. This um, this one public school would come down at the end of the school year. And they were just all the all the guys in their like eighth grade or or like ninth grade. They had like a middle school, went to ninth grade. They would come down and just fight the eighth graders and us. Wow! But like fucked up, like chains. It was like organized Real, people. Yeah. Who, like was fucked up, Damn. and it was like they, they would early dismissal all the little kids, and then 
it was like a rite of getting out of school in eighth grade. You had to fight to something. School was fucking guys would bring bats to school and shit, and the teachers were just cops. It was like you know, it's fucking hundred kids. Wow. So it was wild. Fuck. But yeah, there was still gangs in in the seventies in New York and eighties. But it's crazy, yeah. Yeah. When I moved there too, just it was just well, that was eighty eight. It was still pretty crazy the Bowery and all that stuff and just, oh yeah 80s was still crazy um so the 70s comes out in 88 with high hopes big mouth no reason why all these amazing songs on it at that point have you guys playing out of the city and playing like tri-state area stuff in the 70s yeah we would do like um oliver jays and um we play like in jersey we play the anthrax we play like pennsylvania what's the place in pennsylvania man with like um the skate ramp place <laughs> yeah. that dude was crazy Oh, I know the name of it. I can't think of it right now. Yeah, no skinheads allowed here. I figured out what it's called. The name of the spot. Yeah, he was like a hippie. And there was crazy fights sometimes. The yeah. Nazis would come. Yeah, I forgot what it's called, though. Wally's Place. Wally's Place. Yeah, I took it and had Wally's, to find that it. That was like the shit back then. Yeah, just, yeah, that was a wild place. But Anthrax, obviously. Yeah, and we would, you know, we would just, um, you know, some, we'd show up sometimes. Dave Stein put some shows on Albany. Yeah. We'd go Buffalo, Albany. Albany style. Warzone Women. So cool shows. Yeah, we would road trip with with everybody. You know, we just all pile into a van and just figure it out. But even then, you guys were kids. You, you just you just make your music. You play on the weekends. You're having fun. You're not thinking about no, like no. we're gonna make money. This is gonna be a career. No, that never. Shit. Then I mean, we didn't probably start getting paid until I don't know when. Like we'd play the Anthrax. It'd be like a sign side sold out, and we'd fucking you know we'd we'd go to get paid at the end. And the guy would be like, ah, "Wasn't that full?" I was like, bro, it said sold out. <laughs> and he was just like, that that wasn't for this show. Uh, I give you two fifty. Wow. And we'd be like and it was like five dollars a head, but it was a thousand fucking people in there, eight hundred people in there, whatever it was. Dude. And we'd be like, fucking two hundred fifty dollars. Yes. That's so a big pumped. deal back oh, then. Oh, it's huge. Wow. Huge money. But um yeah, you were just playing for for cred and to be cool yeah. and and just it was just, like just have fun pecking order yeah or just it was really it was it was about glory mm. it was about you know people playing that show i mean i remember people listening to people like talk and just being bummed out you know like there was even like a a, a little subculture-y kind of a thing where it was like more like metal dudes got into hardcore just because hardcore guys played shows you couldn't mm. play a metal show I was hard to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could play a hardcore show. Gotcha. So they were like, that was their their stepping stone to get. Go to Lemores or something to be a metal band. Eventually, yeah. And so, how was your nap, Adam? Good, man. Good. Now we're uh, going to the venue. You are? Yeah. Okay, I'll see you later. I'll cut this out of the podcast. Bye, <laughs> right, guys. You with the Max, too? Okay, bye, guys. Um, Everything good? I just, no, just text Mary back. We can cut this shit out too. Um, I, don't, I don't care. And then start today. So building up to start today, when you record that record, you're just making a f- your first full length album. There's like no pressure. There's no nothing. You're just making a record with your friends. Once I think there was more. There was more pressure doing like I think the seven inch at Don Fury's with a demo tape. I think it was a seven inch. I remember like we you know we had to pay for it. I was like yeah. the only one with a job, but we had some pulled some money, and um, you know I wasn't musical and. Uh, I remember like fucking up a couple of takes and Walter just coming in the room like, you gotta fucking get this man. Like we got fucking, you know, there's $15 left. Fucking, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta do this fucking right, man. And I, that was like more pressure when yeah. it was like that uh, kind of shit. And, 
but yeah, doing the record, we had, you know, Rev and we had time and it was more fun. I felt more, I think I felt more pressure doing like weird shit. I remember like we had a, and when we did Civ, we got a, um, a, a, a commercial for yeah. like Crayola, a Crayola crayons. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to change the lyrics and I had to sing what they sent me. Ooh. And, but the person from Crayola was listening in, uh, like a hype man for them was listening in. And then like some other woman who was like the art director was listening in on like while I was singing in a, that's weird at the headphones on. That's crazy. And, and and you know Sammy and Charlie are like shaking their heads with their fingers crossed because they're talking to me through my cans and they're like, "What about this? What about a little bit more of this?" And the guy's like, "What a little bit more New York attitude?" And I'm like, "I gave you some fucking attitude." He's like, "Whoa, whoa, there's some women on the line, buddy." I'm like, watch the language. And I was like, "Oh my <laughs> god, yeah, yeah, but, that feels weird, yeah." But uh, you know that was like because you're you're looking at your friends and they're you know, there's like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for each of them on the line. If you fuck up this commercial. Yeah. And, but you know, in my gut instinct is to say, fuck you and walk out. Cause I don't want to have to answer to some asshole. I don't know. Yeah. Cause I'm s- stupid that way. But, Damn. uh, but yeah, nailed it. I'm a professional. It <laughs> <laughs> got, got the deal. Um, but when the, um, start today comes out, I feel like the impacts become even bigger. Here we are. Twenty twenty from when it came out in 1988 just throughout the years different generations of people that that, that found this record and loved this record because when it came out it was a big deal as well but I feel like even now it seems like obviously I, these shows are bigger than they were when it came out well I couldn't you know the thing is Jordan got the uh, the record out late we, we I remember pl- that we planned the US tour in 89 and the record was supposed to be out and Jordan is um you know, the best, but back in those days, he was not punctual. Yeah. So he was more like, um, you'd say like, he should have been like more of like a native American in like the eight early 1800s. Like I will visit you on the third moon of the second, Mm. second season, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And you're like, okay, look, look to me. Yeah. Like Gandalf, look to me in the North. I'll be coming over the ridge. There was no real timelines. Mm. And so we were supposed to have this record out and it came out like three days or four days before the end of our tour. And we played Buffalo with the record out for like two days. And it was the, I was so pissed because it was the best. Everybody knew the words. Everybody had the record and it was like a, the show was huge and it was sick. And I was like, why, you know, cause we suffered across the United States on a seven inch. Yeah. And, but then the crazy thing is we went to Europe and then we never toured the States again. I remember Europe and was like we, 91, right? Yeah. And then we yeah. broke, and then we broke up. So we, ne- so when we got back together, <clears throat> we played rabies, uh, rabies benefit at CB's. Yeah. Remember that? And then when CB's was closing, I got a call. And it was like 2005. I had already been tattooing forever. And I had already done Civ stuff. And so, you know, Walter and I had worked on stuff together, but we hadn't been playing together. And then in 2005, CB's called and they were like, listen, we're trying to fight this. Probably going to lose, but we want to do a month of shows every night. We want you guys to do a matinee. So I 
called Wally and I was just like, listen, I don't think we're going to fucking save CBs, but if we play and some good comes of it, great. Yeah. But if we don't try to help, it's fucked up because the yeah. place gave us like our existence when we were totally. kids. So he was like, no, totally. We should do it. So we called the dudes, called Alex, called Arthur, Luke, all every, you know, we didn't, we hadn't seen each other in a long time and they all came up to, I, I, at the time I had a little bungalow in Westchester and we went swimming and like had a barbecue and reconnected and we practiced for like a week and, and we, and we were at practice in like the city and somebody called, um, someone's phone and they were like, there's a line around the block. It was like Saturday night. And they were like, there's a line all the way around the block to like Bowery and around like at CB's right now. And we were like, for what? And they were like, for tomorrow, for the show, people are camped out tonight wow. to get in. So we drove by and we were like, holy shit, like That's this is sick. sick. It's cool, you know? Damn. And then we got there and people were like, I fucking flew from Japan or I came from Brazil. <laughs> I was like, are you guys fucking crazy? <laughs> I wouldn't walk around the block to see this. But a, uh, so we made sure everybody got in. And that was like one of the first shows I ever played where if, like, you know, people say things like there's electricity in the air, like you can yeah. feel it. That's how it felt. Like mm. it was everybody's Magical. energy. Yeah, it was so, so much energy in the room that you could feel it like in the air. It was like the the, the moisture in the room was like electric. And it was fantastic. Yeah. And then after that, we were like, okay, maybe we should really do this because there is, at that point, almost 20 years of crazy man of people, generate two generations of people who were fans of the band that never saw us play. Yeah. So then we did um, a 2006 uh, tour of the United States, very uh, DIY. And, you know, we took out um, bands that, you know, promoters and friends and people that were like, oh, you got to bring, like, we, you know, Terra. And they were like yeah. the new band. It was like, okay, bring Terra out with you. Bring Comeback Kid Comeback with Kid you. Comeback Kid say that, yeah. A bunch of, like, bands that were up and coming kind of a thing. Same thing, you know, we get to do now, but totally. now these bands are playing, you know, these new new bands, Hardcore So Huge right now, they're playing their own 500 fucking cap rooms and yeah, so or it's, bigger, yeah. Or bigger yeah yeah like new bands like are playing huge rooms so we don't have to be like the guys oh come and play and you'll play in front of a bunch of people they're playing their own big shows mm -hmm. so it's pretty fucking sick hardcore is huge right now it's crazy man it's it's unreal to watch it like i never country. i never thought it would come back the way it did so diverse so many different styles the way people look the sounds it's like yeah. not just one style yeah, we I mean we were talking about it in the car. Like it's yeah. not it's it's not just like white boys shit. It's not just guy stuff. There's so many girl fronted bands now. It's, it's cool. Man. So many young kids again. So. Yeah, especially living in California. I know it's big in the East too, but some of the shows I go to right here, it's just different record stores and spots. It's packed. <clears throat> yeah, the crowd's amazing. It's like but like Rhode Island, sick. Baltimore, sick. Detroit, yeah, and it Baltimore, sick, sick, and it's sick. Um, I want to go back to to the '91 that live video too, where you know you play a song called "Distance" that never gets released, which is an incredible song. But also, <laughs> you can see just so everybody looks their styles. Even with you with your creepers on, you can see what's going to happen next if you really know you yes. now and what happened next. Like quicksand's going to happen, Siv's going to happen, 
it, it's just this watching just how how everybody looked there was interesting. Nineties was an ugly time for fashion. I think early nineties, like our cool, <laughs> uh, like our cool hardcore looks, were going out the window because we were getting older and we were trying to like figure out. I don't know. I don't. I think like in the eighties, we didn't try to figure it out. It just was natural. But I think we were trying to. There was and plus like. There was a hip hop influence yeah. again in the '90s, more like not like um, Run DMC, but like more like a De La Soul kind of a vibe. Oh yeah, and that Baby was tongues. influencing, you know, the way people dressed and acted. And there's more. We were going out to like clubs and like city stuff, and we were older. And like I think nobody in the band except me was like straight edge at that point. So there was like you know, drug experimentation going on. Yeah. And new bands wanted to happen. And Priscilla with the long hair, just like, just everybody looks so different that time. Yeah. Was oh point. God, I, I just looked at a picture from us in Europe. I looked like, uh, like a Lane Staley clown. Purcell, <laughs> Purcell had like a long ponytail and a fanny pack and like a sweatshirt tucked into like sweatpants. Wow. Tom Capone was into like the satanic Bible and like yeah. leather jacket. Walter had like flower stickers, like Scooby Doo flowers on his guitar, and like long hair. It was a. It, it was, was interesting time. Yeah, Samuel was like, uh, like a. He, he had on like, I don't know, Ralph Lauren kind of like pants and vibes, and he was like, yeah, he was like sexy. <laughs> he had his hair and stuff. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. like he was like a sexy like go out kind of like guy. <laughs> he so was, that was probably one of the last shows maybe recorded for you guys before you broke up. Uh, yeah. And that was that show was insane show by the way it, incredible it, show it was just but it was that show kind of sucked because for me because we were like psyched up on it and we were playing you know we were playing in the top three slots with these like two other amazing bands that we're friends with and you know we're still I don't know still hardcore kids like the yeah. fact the fact that I even am friends with Roger or like John Joseph is a fucking trip yeah you know or like I have you know. I have fucking their phone numbers. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's so man. strange. Jimmy G, everybody. Yeah, yeah, Jimmy, Vinny. But when, so then when you're like up in the, in the same like, you know, batting rotation as yes. these guys, it's, it's, it's a trip. But um, Chris Williamson, sick of it all went over. Like they were allotted 30 minutes. They did like 40 minutes. Okay. So he was like, you got 15 minutes to play. Roger said he doesn't want to play past 10 o'clock. And the curtains were like opening, and I was like, "Fuck that!" We got like a half hour, and Chris Williamson was a fucking nightmare for all of New York hardcore. He was like a fifty-something-year-old mustache, like I don't know, like almost like a Jerry curl hair, but like almost like a promoter from throwback from the seventies or eighties, yeah. right? Like, yeah. But jack, like kind of jacked and scary and drugged out. Yeah. And he was like, so he was nose to nose with me as I'm standing on stage as the curtains open. He's screaming at me. Your fucking friends fucked you. You got 15 minutes. I'll pull the fucking curtain. I'll shut the fucking lights off. And I was like, you know, cool. Gonna have a great show now. Thanks, man. <laughs> Spit all over my face from him. Thanks, uh, bud. Yeah. Thanks, bud. Let me just <laughs> play fucking five songs and be out. So did was, you? Was that? Was that going on? Going playing that show? Did you guys realize it might be the last show? Or just everybody? No, yeah. I think we were just. That was like kind of like we. I think we were still like. I think we were all kind of like confused at what the fuck was going on, but we still yeah. had some, I think we still had some energy behind it where we were like, all right, we're playing a big show. 
yeah maybe this can work out i mean for at least for me i think walter had aspirations early even earlier on in that to do other things i never really like i said i was never musical or gave a shit i was like okay my band's cool and that's enough for me but um but then after yeah then after that i think we played our last show at the marquee but we knew it was going to be the last show and we was at that one i figured i played that one yeah I don't know. There were some crazy ones at the marquee. Yeah. But you were tattooing at that point anyway, right? I had just started. Yeah. Like, I think I was, like, tattooing a few weeks, and I did the last show, and that was was the saving grace for, like, my mental uh, stability. And, you know, like, there, you, it's hard to go back to being normal after you have a non-normal existence. Yes. The balance of that. Like, like I worked, I've always worked, always I worked have. my ass up, but I could never go work for somebody or yeah. do a normal been job. Your own boss. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. been independent my whole life, Yes, but I've never, I've always hustled. But I just think, um, you know, once you go through that, it's like, how am I going to get a fucking job? How am mm-hmm. I going to be normal or listen to somebody or have, you know, be told what time to show up or something? I could set my own schedule because yeah. I choose to do it. Yeah. But and were you working in a shop at that point or about to be at a shop? I think I was still working. Well, I didn't even want to work in a shop. I was fucking killing it on the Lower East Side in my mind. I was making like 30 bucks an hour. I was on unemployment. <laughs> there was a girl sleeping over and like yeah. everybody was hanging. My house just became like a hangout. Damn. But the only thing, you know, what actually changed it was that the house became a hangout. I, I had Jimmy as my roommate. Yep. And people started to know what buzzer it was and what floor I was on. So it'd be like three in the morning and, you know, God would ring the fucking bell. And it was like a friend of somebody. Damn. I think, I think Puerto Rican Mike brought up, um, he brought this dude up. He always had fucking sketchy friends. You mean Spanish Mike? Spanish Mike. Yeah. I'm not, well, we used to call him Puerto Rican Mike, but he's Spanish Mike, but not the, not the other, not the other Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican yeah, Mike. Okay, one, not yeah. the Puerto Rican Mike that we know now. Okay. Spanish Mike or Contra Mike. Okay. <laughs> Sick of it all, Mike. He Sick was. All, Mike. He was always. He was always in the mix, and he brought this dude over, and uh, he was. He was. Uh, his name was Panchi, the Buck Wildin' Comanche. Wow. And I, he was like, he was like, I want to get. He wanted that written on him. And he's like, I want, he's like, you know, I want like a brother with like chuckers on. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And he's like, show me his, his, you know, he wants his pants like this, his shoes like this. I'm like, okay. He's like, he's got to have a tech nine in his hand. I said, I don't know what a tech nine looks like. And he pulls out a tech nine. Holy shit. Puts it on the bed. And I was like, cool. Okay. Jesus. And then. So then, like his kind of got a crew of guys started to know where I was, and some other people. And then one night I came out, I was tattooing, and somebody was letting people in, and there was like four dudes on my couch watching cartoons, smoking blunts, and eating cereal. Like, oh man! And I was like, guys, you know, there's like, and there's guns all like on the tables and shit, and I was just like. Uh, hey, you know, you guys have to leave. <laughs> Time to break it up. Yeah, yeah. everybody. Take the cereal box with you. You can have the Fruit Loops. It's all good. <laughs> but it just became okay. This isn't pro and this isn't cool. So uh, I had a uh, guy who I bought supplies uh, from. He he turned me onto a shop in Long Island that needed somebody. Mm. And I bit the bullet and I took the railroad to Long Island, Suffolk County. I never what was the first shop. Cliffs Tattoo. Cliffs Tattoo. Right I worked there, yeah. there in ninety. I worked there in ninety three. So I did ninety two and ninety three out of my apartment. 
crazy. In 93, man. I worked at Cliffs. Yeah, you guys. Always out there, man. Always out there. Beware, Isaac. Uh, deep. Deep recipes. Rest of recipes. Yeah, man. Um, uh, I haven't seen Beware in years. I wonder where Beware is at. Oh, uh, what's. Um, Stevie G. Yas. Rest in peace. Yas. Stevie G. Stevie G. I saw Stevie G not too too long ago. It looks like a time capsule, exactly the same. Yeah, I think I saw a picture of him. But I don't happen to Beware, man. He was always. Laces up. He worked at the Army Navy store. So much free clothes. All kinds of dickies and all. I, st- I think I still have dickies in the car really? from the basement. <laughs> I, I'm, I literally think I still have clothes from him. He wow. gave me so much clothes I couldn't wear them. Dude, he would take care of all of us. Yeah, and he would drive us. Yeah, I got pictures of you tattooing. Oh wait, I have a picture of me and Beware somewhere, but it wasn't in your apartment somewhere else. But you were doing the Beware on his back. That was at Lotus, I think. Oh, right? that's sick. Yeah, I'd like yeah. to see that. Yeah, Lotus. Yeah. Yeah, he got Beware on his back. It's but, so crazy, man. I remember Moon lived with you for a second on Twentieth Street. Mm-hmm. Moon definitely lived with me on 20, I think that was on 26th Street. Six. That was such a random part of town because everybody kind of lived downtown at that point, but you were living like in that It area. was on the east side, so you could yeah. still like walk down to like, um, we, we'd always get free lunch at um, Angelica's Kitchen because uh, people worked there. So many people. And then we'd go to the Asher Levy gym and go work out and I'm working out of my apartment. Yeah, Moon lived there for a little while and she was uh, back from, from Chicago. Yeah. So you, for, um, for vegetarianism, that was before I met you, you were vegetarian. I was I moved there in eighty eight, right? Yes, I was went vegetarian in like eighty six. And what was that what inspired you for that? Um, just the punk rock thing where you just kinda of start questioning everything. Yeah. My, my uncle Joe was a butcher, my dad was a hunter, and I really Danny, my friend Danny really was like I think he was vegetarian before me and, and he was he was on shit kinda of early. And uh I just was like, What the f- why why would why did I kill something to exist? Yeah, were like, you a heavy media to growing up? Uh, yeah, I wasn't like I wasn't into like I remember like seeing that fucking like bloody steak on the plate, and I'd have to put like butter and salt and a one steak sauce on it and cut it small to get it down. Jesus, but I would eat like hot dogs like a motherfucker or like something like that. I'd fuck up a chicken. You wing. wanted to sell hot dogs, yeah, yeah, hot, yeah, hot, Joey hot dogs, chicken but, parmesan, yeah, shit like that, or like just like a barbecued like cold chicken wing with salt on it, or like a leg. Were your parents cooking a lot at home? Having my dad, my dad's good. My dad was a good cook. My grandma was a good cook. She lived with us in the basement. Mm. Um, my mom was more like, you know, nasty shit, like a, a fucking shake and bake pork chop. And then she'd throw some like soaking wet, hot water spinach, like right next to it and it'd get all wet and then like wet. It. And then like <laughs> some fucking mashed potatoes and the spinach juice would get on it. Jesus. Like bitch drain that. <laughs> like, so it was pretty easy to give up that kind of shit. Yeah. Once you saw the animal torture and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and then like the first year I was probably like, you know, bagels and pizza and pasta vegetarian. Totally. It doesn't same. matter. Cause you're like. 17 and you can eat anything you need a paper bag and you're fine you're like it didn't ripped. matter yeah you're ripped and you feel great <laughs> the straight carbs yeah you don't care falafels pizza all that shit even, yeah even a falafel is like so exotic i mean i remember the first time i ate seitan with purcell at the uh, whole foods and uh, in soho he was like yo if we go after five it's half price and it was like barbecue a dish like a, a chafing dish of like barbecue seitan and i was just like yo that is not f- that's fucking meat I never mm. saw I never saw Satan before. Wow! And he's just like piling it up in a in a thing with brown rice, and he's just like, "You fucking stupid! It's Satan!" I'm like, "You're fucking stupid! That's meat! I'm not eating that shit." Fuck! And someone in the store was like, "No, you're just stupid! That's Satan! It's wheat!" And I was Damn. like, "All right, I'm in." What year was that? That was probably eighty eight, maybe. I mean, I was like tofu. Like it was. But no, you were saying vegan back then. It at sucked that point. to be. It sucked to be vegan or vegetarian yeah. back then. 
But nobody's talking about vegan at that point. Um, it, they... The first time the vegan thing came in was when I was in Europe in 89. Um, I went to, um, I was in England, not e, not EU, I was in the UK. And I went to a like a fur-free march. Oh, shit. And uh, there was a vegan store. And it had like shirts. I, I used to, I wish I still had the shirt. And I bought a coffee mug and a shirt. And it just said, it was like sentences. It said like animals don't, animals don't, animals don't. Like animals don't drive cars, uh, but they suffer because we do. Animals Ooh. don't just, they suffer because we do. Yeah. And that was the first time I was turned on to the idea of um, animal agriculture and like what cows go through for milk or like what chickens go through for yeah. eggs and being become, you know, factory farming stuff. So I came back like, okay, I'm ready to throw some paint on fur. Mm. I'm fucking ready to hardcore militant. Yeah, like glue some locks. I'm like, fuck, I'm into it. Now I'm not vegetarian for that. I'm a vegetarian because it's fucked up. Yeah, not for like I don't want to kill kill stuff or for health. I want this. It's just fucked up that people are killing animals and you know then it escalates and you like read some books. I mean before documentaries, it was before like you know it's crazy how now it's, and yeah, shit. yeah how now it's just like. Now, everywhere. now you just to go watch Cowspiracy, watch Forks Over Knives, watch this, watch that. Everywhere you go is an option. Oh God, it's fucking crazy. Touring is crazy. I just Google a vegan Happy food, cow, whatever, yeah, vegan food in this neighborhood or this town, and it's just like boop, 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 boop. It's so crazy we have that man. Yeah, it's so easy now. I mean, I remember going on tour with Siv, and shit would be closed, and I remember being in the bus, man, and I was steaming a fucking head of cauliflower. Ooh. With salt, that all they had was like salt, <laughs> and, I, and I ate that shit. I one time with GB Arthur and Walter, and not Arthur uh, Walter and like Mark Hayworth, we were like playing this like castle, in like fucking Transylvania wow. or some shit, like a squat. I hadn't eaten in fucking days, and we ordered pizza. There was some crazy pizzeria like in the village that would deliver on like a moped to this squat castle. Fires outside, drums, <laughs> dogs, guys with sticks, and. We ordered just, it ordered me like a, you know, sauce and vegetable pie. And I couldn't believe it. Like it showed up yeah. and I cracked it open and it was fucking pepperoni and cheese. Oh, I literally started crying. Damn. I took my sneakers off and threw them into the woods. It was raining <laughs> in protest. In protest. <laughs> and, I'm not going to have shoes. Now. And then while crying, I had to walk in my socks through the mud at night and try to find my shoes in the woods. That's fucking horrible torture. Tor mental, just, and those guys are just, some of those guys are just like, oh, just throw the pepperoni on the floor and we'll just crush these cheese pizzas. It's oh, all yeah, good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it's that. starving. Oh, I, I know. Fuck. Yeah. But, and then everyone's just like, oh, man, you're in such a bad mood all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking miserable. I'm starving. <laughs> fucking vegans, being vegan sucks. It's hard. I hope the animals appreciate us. They don't. I know. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna pause for one second. I'm gonna take a piss with you. Hang out. Mm -hmm. Infection. Now we came. <laughs> oh, we came back in the pod. Yeah, we talked about you. Um, started like get your first job at a tattoo shop. You know, GB had just finished up in 1991, and then we have that little gap there before it like Civ forms, which I feel like set your goals could have been the alp the, the next GB record after start. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people have told me that, and it's an incredible record. And like those couple years, you weren't doing music. Was that a hard transition? Yeah, like going from being in this band just to I, be a tattoo artist. Yeah, because I, I was, like I said, like I never really felt like a musician or like had any musical aspirations. Yeah. So once I started tattooing, 
and I fell so in love with it. I was so became so obsessed with it. And you, and I think you have to be if you want to like you know uh, be good at it. And then I got into like the history of it, the yeah. collecting of it, the archiving of it, the ephemera of it, and I and the machines and the the legacy and the history, and I felt so attached to it and protective of it. And then kind of out of fucking left field, you know, I had the shot for going for two years and I was like, this is my life. This is my career. I'm going to do well at this. I'm going to make money. It's going to be a good job. It's going to be cool. I'm going to afford other people's jobs and we're going to do it. Coming in as a musician and not like a tattoo artist, is that kind of weird getting, not the respect, but people like taking you seriously as somebody? Well, the, the two things that would happen was people who liked my tattoos assumed I sucked at music or my band sucked. Mm. And then the people who liked my band assumed my tattooing sucked. Gotcha. Um, they didn't think you could do two things. Yeah. Just not true. reasonably well. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, so I would, I, and, and, and I really, in the beginning I had a hard time with people getting tattooed because they were like, hardcore people yeah and only want the gb tattoo or something yeah even i didn't do that for forever i remember i would just be like eh, you know, I, got I don't want to do that you, you're welcome i do i do it i do it every once in a while i mean it's when i when i when i take my own ego out of it it's such a nice thing that people care enough to get that on totally. tattoo on them it's you know it's kind of mind-blowing yeah but um so yeah i would just i was just happy and i was uh tattooing and everything was cool and i had a you know, kind of an okay partner and the shop was good and figuring it out. And then I got a call from Walter and he was, you know, doing quicksand and stuff, but he was, he was in it for like two or three years on the music thing where, you know, bands were starting to punk bands like green day offspring. Punk remember that that was happening 94, 95. And he was feeling it and he was seeing, um, things that I wasn't seeing like um, publishing deals mm. and money that was in the air that could be made, you know? Yeah. Um, points on records or production credit for down the line. Cause he's a musician and yeah. you know, he's produced stuff. So he was seeing it um, in his way. And I think there might've been like a little bit of a, um, I don't think he had ever had like a guilt about breaking GB up, but and and we've talked about it. Like when Quicksand got back together, he was kind of hush hush about it, and I was like, "Dude, I don't give a fuck. Like I'm psyched. I like Quicksand. I love yeah. those first two records. But and if we didn't break up, GB didn't break up, I would never have started tattooing. And that's been, yeah. been like the the joy of my life. Totally. So I was like, I you know, thank you for doing you know Quicksand and stuff. So it was like I was I needed that break and I wouldn't want to just be beating this dead horse for all these years. It's nice to take breaks and do other creative outlet things. Were you missing playing music during those years? No, not yeah. at all. Um, cause I had another outlet. Like yeah. if you were, if you were became a garbage man after your band broke up, you might be bummed out and missed the stage. Yeah, you still being creative and stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. my ego is being fed. Mm. And as long as your creative ego is being fed and you're getting attention and you're making money. And it's also another thing I don't know if people realize is that when you're in a band, it's a group setting. And if one person fucks up, you all fuck up or if yeah. one does well like that. So it was more like, okay, if I screw this it's up, tattooing, it's on me. Yeah. If I do well, it's on me. 
so you're it's your you're like a solo artist literally yeah so it's not a band um it's not a band game or band you know team it's it's a solo thing every time you work so that is i like that i'm not a competitive person but i i am you know always of course like anybody in, in in the arts you're ego driven and uh so then walter was like hey not really into the way hardcore is going. It was a weird conversation. It was like, you know, it's like everything's about like hip hop or tough guy stuff or metal and it's not hardcore. And I have these songs, a couple of songs written and I want you to sing on it. And I was like, I'm good. Wow. <laughs> no, I was like, I don't need that shit, dude. I'm working on this. I got a shop. I have a business. I don't, I don't want to. You were, you were content in your life. I was content yeah. and it was like, why go back to that while I'm yeah. still, I haven't, you know, tattooing, you suck the first 10 years. And then even, and then you do 20 years and you go, God, still kind of suck. <laughs> so I was like still learning and, and doing my thing. And I didn't want to stop or take a break from it. And um, I got talked into it. And then like Charlie was involved and then and, and Sammy was involved. And then once we kind of recorded, we did um, two songs and, this guy, um, Chris's place in Jersey, like I sang those songs in like a shower or bathroom or something. Wow. That was in an apartment. We, we sang the, the, the vocals that are on the record were never re-recorded. Um, wow. so we did it. And then our friend Marco Siega, who we talked yeah. about before, he, he was like, Hey, I want to direct, um, a video. I want to be a director. And we was a neighborhood guy. We grew up on a bed trip. Yeah. And he, we went, me, him and Walter went to an Italian restaurant and had dinner and he pitched, you know, we wrote notes down on like a, a napkin and he pitched the uh, Can Women and More concept of a talk show because that shit was hot. Totally. Then. Jerry Springer. So we were doing like tongue in cheek and then he went on to do like the really fucking funny boy band videos for like Blink-182 and he did TV shows, he, he Dexter. Did movies. Yeah, he kills it. Dude, shout out to Marcus. We're, yeah, we're still, we still keep in touch. Marcus is great. So cool. That was his first thing he directed and yeah. it was our first video. But the thing that we, we did, we were like, Marcus was like, I can make a $100,000 video if we get like 15 grand together. So we all got to pitch in like five grand. Wow. And I was like, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, and I'm good. And, uh, <laughs> and I was, you know, I, and he was like, yeah. And then we were like, all right, we could spend the money, take a shot. And if not, we have a fucking funny video show around kids or something. Yeah. So we obviously, we did it. He pulled a bunch of strings. We got you in fucking leopard underwear. Lou in there from prison. Lou was in prison at the time. <laughs> I can't remember where he was locked down, but he was, that was in prison. Funny. Arizona State Prison. Arizona. Yeah. So, <laughs> but that's the thing. Everyone, all of our friends are funny and creative and everybody awesome. just kind of did all their thing. You know, you can't just ask like 20 of your friends like, okay, come down to the studio and you're going to act. Like yeah, not, not a lot of people can do that. With the lights on. I had like leopard speedos on. That was a yeah. We thing. asked you to go a little further, Thanks, but you man. were a nudist and whatever. <laughs> he used to make him clap and do sack flap, sack flap, shit. shit ropes. He used to do a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> we figured it was good. So yeah, so yeah, and then that video, fuck man, I don't know what comes out first, a single, the video, but it comes like a buzzworthy on MTV. Yeah, it just fucking blow it. Beavis and Butthead, like all this shit. Yeah, it just goes. 
it, it it went it went didn't go as far as we wanted to because there was some shenanigans with the label and like pissing contests with dudes, but it did good. It was like a considered like a minor hit. Before the album drop that came out? Yeah, the single came out and then and the record was completely done too. Record was completely done. Yeah. And then they uh yeah, you know, the, everything with that is the timing. The, when, totally. Once you get in the system with like a manager and a lawyer. Scott McGee. Or Scott, Mc, yeah, Scott McGee. Thank you. We got, we got picked up by him because of you guys. Yeah. It was like quicksand, sieve. Yeah. Um, Orange 9. Orange 9, yeah. Crazy. We were just like, well, the thing is we thought it was cool to get picked up, but those guys needed us because they were trying to find the next Green Day. Mm. And it, you know what I mean? It's it's not they're not doing it because they like us. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're, doing, they're doing Kiss like his brother. Yeah, his brother. That's how we got we got to play with Kiss at the right, Garden. That's right. Yeah, Siv opened up for Kiss at the Garden. That's insane too. So and the shit blows up and you're still tattooing and like all of a sudden. Well, it sucked because I would have to. You know, I was in this system. I remember going to a dinner with to meet Doc McGee with Sammy and Charlie, and I was really having a hard time with the the major label thing mm. and all of it. And they knew and Scott knew and Scott was like, my brother's coming into town. Let Doc give you a pitch about being on McGee Entertainment. And we we're at this restaurant and, um, you know, you're, you're sitting there fighting yourself about being like a hardcore kid and the streets. Yeah. And then they're like the roots, the roots yeah. and rabies. And you're just like, <laughs> and they're, and they're like, and then, but then you're thinking, fuck, if I, if this works, man, I'll have like, you know, I could have like a fucking mansion and a yacht, like Elma J. Fudd or some shit, you know, you don't know. Mm -hmm. I could be chilling at 30 years old, 25 yeah. years old. So it's like, do I take the shot or do I say, fuck this and keep it real or whatever? I know what Rick to life would do, keep that shit real. <laughs> but I, uh, so we're having this dinner and he's like, Doc's like, listen, guys. Money isn't the, uh, he said, money isn't the most important thing. And I said, all right, like I'm listening. And he goes, money's the only thing. Damn. And I was like, God damn it. And I remember going outside. I was like sitting on the curb. It was like, I had this big ass cell phone for the first time. Like one of those like giant Star yeah, Trek ones. And I was like crying, talking to my girl at the time. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm good. Life is good. Why am I, why am I doing this? I, this isn't me. Yeah. And, uh, and then it was just like the voice crept in. Hey, you could always tattoo. You can't always take a shot like this. Yeah. You got to take the shot. So shot my shot. And it was pretty good. But pretty good, man. We stayed on the, we stayed on the road. Warped but the tours, thing, all that shit. I remember. Yeah. We did the first, first two and the fourth warp tour. And those were groundbreaking and they were fucking super cool. But it was, um, was it was a lot was, to yeah, be on the road. We were on the road like eight months out of the year. Yeah, how for a couple of years? Yeah, for like from until two thousand. So with like Siv. five or five, wow. five or six years almost. Yeah, yeah. The first couple of H tour shows you played with Sib. Remember that in Syracuse and upstate New York. Yep. And just that video catching heat and blowing up and all that. So it was kind of pre pre internet, obviously. Yeah. And like it was awesome. I mean, I mean, we're people. Yeah, for a hardcore band, like or dudes from hardcore bands, like it was huge for to us. To be on Beavis and Butthead, that's sick too. I was nervous. Someone told me that, and I said, "Oh my god, they probably tore me apart and called me all kinds <laughs> of fucking names." And then they were like, "No, they did. They said it was cool." That's awesome. And I was like, "Woo!" <laughs> you did that. And I remember also, um, we shot the uh, seven-inch cover at, at at our barbershop in St. Mark's. Yes, on the back punk of the haircuts. Yeah, punk haircuts, five dollars. 
And everything was always DIY. It was just always yeah. us just doing things and just waiting for people to fucking catch up or like it or not. It's like who cares? Yeah. So did that? Did that record change your life in a sense financially or? Oh hell no. That was I was losing money because I was working and the label would give you like fifteen hundred dollars a month to live on, but they keep you on the road so you don't spend any money. But I already had an apartment. I had my shop to take care of. So I would come home. I'd be broke as a joke because I was living like tattooer lifestyle. So I had expenses. Yeah. And then I had the fake. And I remember going on the train. I was on the LIR going to work. And I got on the train and some girl was staring at me with her mouth open. And I was like, hi. Like, you're right. And she was like, I saw you this morning on MTV. And I said, oh, yeah, cool. And she was like, what are you doing on the train? And I said, oh, my, my helicopter's broken. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I don't have any yeah. fucking money. Wow. You're on MTV. Don't don't pay you to do that. No, no, no. So it's like. That's pretty crazy. You know what I mean? Like that thing, it's like, oh, you're you're famous. It's like, I'm broken famous. Being being famous with no money is not cool. Mm. Being, uh, have money is cool and being famous could be okay with it. Yeah. But being financially secure and having like a cool existence is better than being famous. Yeah. 100%. Fuck and so, that record probably went gold at least maybe. No hell no, it did wow. like a hundred and well that was the thing. Here's the thing. This is what I told after, the, the, Jason Flom was our guy. Yeah, at Lava and Atlantic, and he got into some pissing contest with a dude from K Rock, and this is what I was told like years later, and the dude from K Rock was like, I love the song, I want to break the band. Jason was like, no, we're breaking it with the video with MTV. And he's like, nope, we got to do it on K-Rock first. Give me one day with it or two days with it, then we'll go to MTV. So no one tells you this shit's going on. Damn. And Jason was like, nope. So the dude was like, listen to me. If you don't give me this song to break, I'm not playing it on any K-Rock stations. Damn. And Jason said, and this was the pissing contest, he was like, this song is such fire we don't need K-Rock. Wow. And he was wrong. We needed K-Rock because we only had MTV. A lot of people don't watch fucking MTV and they listen to radio. True. So he gambled our gold record with his own, you know, macho. Jesus, man. So um, we still did good. I think when we, I don't know what it was at now or turned out to be. It probably went over 200 plus, but it was when we first did it, and like the sound scan numbers came in, it was like 165 domestic. Mm. So that's a minor hit. Like yeah. gold is gold or 300's a hit. Yeah. But it was it was good for a hardcore band. Yeah, and then doing like 13 Day Getaway after that, was there pressure for that? Um, That was one of the f- most fun records we ever did because it was just the band. It was like me, Charlie, and Sammy. Okay. And Arthur was in and out on it, but like that was. The and then Walter wasn't on that one. No, okay. that was the first. That was the first. But we, you know, but we had been playing so much and on tour so much, and we didn't have like a manager that said like, "Hey guys, this is too far of a departure from the first record." Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just were like listening. Charlie was listening to like Blur and Oasis, and I was just more concentrating on writing lyrics that I was really happy with and like uh, melodies that we were happy with. And we and we really like spent time recording it. We went up to Bearsville studio and we worked with like a bunch of cool people and cool mics. We had a fucking keyboard player. It was like me, it was like band, like music, like what yeah. we wanted to do. And it wasn't like hardcore record; it was just a record. 
And I think the problem with that one was we we didn't do we didn't mix all the songs together. Sammy was really into doing two sides. He's like like a hardcore side. We like flip the record and it's like the the poppy stuff, and then you get like the hardcore stuff. Yeah. And I was like, I think I want it as a record all the way through, but it was kind of two against one, so we did like two separate things. But um, I still listen to that record, and I'm just like, we did a fucking. I love that record. Yeah, it's a great. A lot of people are like, yo, fuck that record. <laughs> You needed four records in between that record, you know, to get to that point. Now it's just like, who gives a fuck? It's just music, and we wrote it, and, it's, and we stand by it. Yeah, and so that that was like that was 1998, and then the next thing you released was into 2006, which is the uh, at the Manet 700 GB. Oh, it's a long time for recording music, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just think back to tattooing, back to normal life, and just yeah, family and all that. Yeah, music is like when it, when it rears its head. I'm, com- it's completely normal. But I don't ever seek it out yeah. too much. I don't like. Uh, I'm more of a things happen when they're supposed to happen. Yeah. But like at the matinee, that was totally fun and cool, and people fucking because we did short end of the stick, I think, on that, and mm-hmm. and people were like, "That fucking seven inch sucks. Short end of six sucks." And it was like asshole. That was on the demo tape. If we released that with the demo tape, you'd be time, like, oh, yeah. "That was genius." It was like that song was from the fucking eighties. Fuck. People didn't know that because they weren't. They don't know that time. because they just want to hate on anything new. Fuck. But uh, who gives you know? Who gives a fuck? <laughs> remember this? Remember the tour we did in 1995 was like the Civ Sick of It All H tour tour. Hell yeah, that shit sick. was crazy. Me and you would be like running out phone bills and smashing shit and like oh, losing sh- our minds, throwing we bags both of the ladies shit. out there. Oh my god, dude! For like six weeks. We lost our minds. We did. That was we had. Fucking, a, that we was used crazy. to cut. We used to cut bands tents open and steal their food because we were fucking vegan and there was no food so we would like we would see, go look who was on stage and get box cutters and cut their tents open and steal their food Fuck. we throw bags of shit at things yeah, all the time wild, bags breaking of shit then, oh, then breaking the booking everything like, hey someone ran up a phone bill in italy calling new york or something like yeah. that oh yeah phone you forget it you were on the phone mission oh do we do we share a bus with sick no, me and you, we shared oh, a just, Beat the Street bus. Remember Mikey Dirtass? He had the piss bucket he yep. had to carry through the bus. <laughs> it was H2 and Sib together? Yeah, that was That's one bus. That's right, our bus. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. And Sick of It All was like the adult parents. Yes. And we were like the fucking hand, you know, mentally challenged stepchildren because we were so cracked. Uh, Leeway, <laughs> Leeway had the bus before us, and I laid down in the bunk, and there was spit, dried spit stalactite, like lungies. Like whoever was in, I was, I was like, who was bunk am I in? But they were hocking lungies on the ceiling, and it was like a cloth and ceiling, <laughs> and they were dry and like the stalactite. Like, oh my God, and I was laying dude. there with them, like covering dry spit bubbles over my head. And Fucking the, nasty. And it was a piss bucket that we you couldn't shit in the bus, but you could piss in it. And there was no way to get out of it. And Mike, this, we had Toby named this guy Mikey Dirtass, and he <laughs> and he only wore swag. He wore free oh, yeah. free sweatpants that had like you know sepultura on them. And he would pick this piss bucket up with like 10 gallons of piss in it, hold it against his chest, and then try to walk through the bus, and then it would start sloshing around, and he'd start <laughs> screaming in German. And then he'd have to go dump it. You know what was awesome is that, that, well, that company's huge now, Beat the Street. It's like a whole different world. Oh, we the bus we had, had uh, it was a middle door that was welded shut. My bunk had a, the bars in it to push, <sighs> push the door open damn and then we'd have like band wrestling fights right smoky my fuck i thought i broke my remember pillow sm- fighting with arthur smash smoky smash i thought arthur got really ground. mad at me one day i felt bad i'm sorry they didn't really bar- have it hard the pillow that's okay he deserves it sometime remember the fucking uh lizard juice 
was that? Smoky, Smoky stole a bottle out of a, a, town, a Spanish restaurant. We were in Spain, and there was a full-bodied lizard soaking in this That's juice. That's right, and he fucking ate it, right? He put, I mean, a lizard, like I'm talking like a 12-inch lizard shoved in this bottle, and he kept it under his bunk, his, his bed. And then when like strangers or new guests would come on the bus and they were wasted he'd fucking scream lizard juice and he'd take it out and he'd make these people drink it and he would take a shot of it oh my god bro did you, did you ever eat part of the lizard all or no i think i i think it was too much my friends the other day did scorpion shots but a, eating a full lizard i don't know i think the lizard stayed in the bottle i so, hope i'm so happy we, we never drank and stuff like that oh you did when you were a kid but i'm saying like we never but imagine if we did because we, we were, always have fun without it man. yeah i was gonna say can you imagine if we did drink and do drugs we were already throwing bags of shit <laughs> and piss and stealing food and fighting what, what was the, um what was what was what was the reason for you to go straight as you just were done partying as a young kid or just yeah i just i just did it uh too early because my brother was four years older than me and i just was keeping up with him and then getting in trouble and then i was like this is stupid had like a, as the AA people say, an aha moment. And I was just, but then I was getting into, then I you know, found out there was like a straight edge scene. And then I realized how the straight edge scene annoyed the shit out of everybody so much. So mm. it was like, ooh, I could be double annoying. I could be punk and annoying to the punks. Yeah. So that was a win-win for me. Yeah. And so how old were you when you started? I was, uh, I think I was still probably drinking like to be punk like 16 i think probably 17 i stopped everything yeah it's right before i met you yeah yeah yeah. yeah i was straight edge. i've been yeah now i don't even think about it now i just think like every once in a while like my wife's like oh you know i have a drink on the deck watch the sun <laughs> goes drink? down mary drinks like yeah wine. my wife too once in a while yeah yeah and i'm just <laughs> like i'm like yeah i could probably do it but then like i know my personality it's like you like yeah. your house you like your house yeah, <laughs> we might lose it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you, you like having clothes? I don't you know think if, we're too old to claim it and like X up and talk about it? No, I think you can still X I up. I see and, people talking about like how old you still talking about straight age in your fifties. It's like I'm just proud. I'm proud that I've made I. Mean, this whole life, I mean, I don't. I, yeah, I mean, I don't have to be like you know spouting off about being straight. It's like spouting off about being vegan. Like I'll totally. talk about it. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, it's like there's a lot of things I don't do that I don't need to talk about. Yeah. I feel like Cats and Dogs as an animal rights song and also as a way of um, talking about it was such a informative, smart, compassionate way that wasn't preachy, that wasn't like gross or, you know It was a great um, avenue to take with it because it wasn't, it was just like, oh yeah, I wouldn't want to eat my fucking cat. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally just basic to the point. I feel like it was such a gateway song. It was a smart Talk about Chef Chef Tall Crossroads. That's a song that got him to be that way as well. Obviously me living with you guys at at that time. And then KRS One My Philosophy came out the same time in 88. I don't eat chicken or fish or Turkey or hamburger. Because to me that's suicide, suicide self-murder. Self-murder. So yeah, but so that song itself, Cats and Dogs, is such a fucking... Well, the only thing, the, 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 th- the worst thing I think about being in like a band that people know or like when people, a uh, record, like people will say to me like, oh, you know, when you get into hardcore, you have to know, start today, or you have to know this record. It's like a legacy record and it's like, but as it goes on and you're like, meet like tall and it's just like, oh, your record inspired me and, and it's just like, I wish it inspired me to like fucking open crossroads and have all these companies <laughs> and like do all this philanthropy shit yeah or, like i'm just thinking about it and wrote it yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah, met yeah. we met this dude in japan he's got like a billion dollar 
clothing company online and his company is called Start Today. Wow. He's like going to fucking Mars in a rocket ship or some shit and he's got a $40 million Basquiat painting. And what? Yeah. And we're just like, well, we went to Japan, went to his offices and he gave us like a coffee mug and like a towel and it's like Start Today etched in his glass. He's a punk, he's a punk drummer. That's cool. And That's crazy with the impact of that. But yeah, but we're just like, what the fuck? Why didn't we start today more? <laughs> why, didn't, why didn't we do better? Well, <laughs> and the guy's like, uh, you know, his all his whole staff is around him, and he's got this giant Indian motorcycle in his office, and he's like, you know, do they have any more any more questions for me, or you know, because he like brought, we got brought in there to like him to sh- I don't know, fucking, it was weird. Yeah. And and Walter's like, yeah, can I have a fucking job? <laughs> like can you pay me to do nothing it's crazy the different walks of life and they all laughed and he was like I'm completely serious just like tall is like a well respected chef in the whole world besides just being a vegan chef just oh, what yeah. he does and he's inspired by one of your songs which is crazy that people like civilians wouldn't even know the name Gorilla Biscuit nevertheless that song where it came from that connection it's, it's powerful my, my wife's always freaked out by like people that She'll meet at her store, like through people that know the band. And, yeah, and they're just like, "What? You You're never expect?" Married? And she's like, "You know that?" Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah," and she's like, "That's fucking weird." It's crazy because they don't have to be going to shows anymore. It could be something. No, just, that could be part of their childhood yeah. or something, or you know, like. Well, that's the, that's well, that's the difference that we don't the the option I think we don't have really is like people can retire from it and walk away from it, and start another existence, and look back at it fondly. But nobody told us that there was a retirement plan. I remember we would be like, we were like twenty, and we'd be like, "How long can we do this?" And and the joke would always be like, "Ah, when Vinny Stigman retires, that's like when we can retire." I I agree. He's like a big inspiration. But the fucking guy won't retire. In his mid sixties, we got us. It's like Vinny retire. I I put him up there with Kevin Seconds and all these other artists who still performing. Kept Keith Morris, Killian in his sixties. Like I know, but that's too much. (laughs) I don't want to do that. Somebody needs to retire. But you've always been smart too, like. A little bit going back, just like buying property in Harlem before it was not many people buying stuff in there. Then only, yeah. then finally buying out your tattoo shop. Then having a place upstate. You've always been really smart. I try. I money, was man. lucky. I was lucky to um, make some good investments um, early on. Like you know, some people thought it was pretty risky, but there's no like we said before. There's you know, there's no paycheck to this. There's no. Um, 401k 401k there's no retirement there's no gold watch at the end of this and a lot of our friends didn't do two things or three things or four things they just did one thing and, yes. and I get nervous for, for my friends same some of our friends do awesome and yeah. uh, but no one t- I mean growing up my father never told me how to balance a checkbook I was he, never, say he didn't go to college for that either yeah. he never told me how to uh, invest in real estate he never told me what like a you know percentage rate was or like how or what to invest in so how do you know? It's like my life was supposed to be just pure suffering. And it's, and then I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to suffer. Figure, yeah. figure it out. You mean you see work working all day to the bone, going yeah. home. I still have that. I still have that white trash, blue collar grind in me where I'll do whatever I can do by myself. I do it by myself. But, you know, I also understand that the way I can make money um, is different than the way other people make money. And so if I should let them do their job that they're good at and I do what I'm good at and we, you know, it just pushes the economy around, you know, yeah, like, sure. like just between people. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean the, the house was, uh, in the city was a risk, but it really worked out and that's, you know, retirement and, and for my kids and family and upstate, we made a couple of really good moves too. And, 
COVID uh, helped us in a weird way. Yeah. And um, I have no, uh, no complaints. I remember sitting right around COVID. I was sitting in London at, at dinner with two of my friends. And we're all just self-employed dudes. Yeah. And we were talking about what we were doing or what we were working on. And my friend Dante was just like, when I look around this table, you know what I see? <laughs> and he's just got full gold fronts, top and bottom, dressed to the nines. And he said, I see three hustlers. And it was a great, <laughs> it was a great compliment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, that's fantastic. <laughs> I, I You've that. always been, man. You got, I don't think about it. But yeah. I also am not going to uh, I'm not going to be a person with standing there with a fucking cup in my hand and ask for a handout. Totally. I, that's not me either. Yeah, it's amazing that you can, and still having this music career too that you just probably never thought in a million years 30 over 30 years later we're playing a show tonight in LA. You guys are playing a sold out show in Los Angeles tonight and like it's a whole new generation of people loving your music. It's That's awesome. what's um that's what's making it cool. Uh, seeing like you know, twelve to fifteen to twenty year old kids stage diving, um, yeah, and and that's uh, you know, that's that's awesome. Yeah, it's crazy. Like your legacy is is just gonna live on, and um, I feel like the band's bigger than it ever was for the, in the past fifteen years, or even more. I, like it's just Jordan, Jordan, um, uh, Rev, number one and, selling and, record from Rev, I pretty much heard that. So yes, yes. That's, I heard that's true. <laughs> you're welcome jordan um but steve reddy who is a huge inspiration yes. when it comes to making your own way from humble beginnings mm. he is uh he is the king of it and him and jordan both gave uh, us great compliments and where they said through the years the the merch the merchandise has become like the new record for us where we've they've given me credit to like reinventing the merchandise game I agree. in hardcore yeah because i was willing to do some shit out of the box to push it and now when i go to shows and i see like we said like ended an ended shirt or a gel shirt um and they're fucking weird and cool and colorful and have their own style i could take a you know, a pinch of credit for that, for mm -hmm. letting in in my mind, for saying, okay, these guys can take a risk with this and not be judged, and 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 just have your style, just yeah. try, try to push it a little bit. I feel like the also the whole hundreds collabs with you guys and Judge and his bands where they were dropping pink things in different colorways, mm -hmm. streetwear brand styles too, like really hundred percent popped it open as well. Super Seven, yeah, Super Seven, yeah, hundreds, yeah. Bobby is is um, is great at what he does. Yeah, it's having like there was no pink GB shorts back in the day, or a different color, or no, or and now and or now it's like all we do is is I think you know colorways is part of the whole gig. Yeah, trying to think about it. Your whole style is very vintage, though. You've always been like that. I've always worn garbage. Been a drifter, like before always. it was trendy, before hipsters, before all that stuff even came out. And like, that was a great thing when we did Civ. It was like that's just the way I always, you know, dressed in vintage clothes. So I would yeah. crush it every time we went on tour. I would, we'd stop the bus. I'd call a cab, and I'd go to the fucking thrift store and just awesome, clean man. up, and then come back to the bus, throw it in the bay, and. Always. But then having your thrift store was it what's what street was it was it ninth uh, street? my wife's store is on ninth street between yeah. first and second that's her deal that's, that's like cool, though, i man. just helped build it but she's curated the best 
women's vintage. I can say this because it's fucking true, but the best women's vintage store in, in New York. That's awesome. And she's had it for 10 years. But that, was, but that was but that was the same thing. She was going to go to college for some shit she didn't want to do. And I was just like, why? Mm. And it's not like you can say that to everybody and they believe you. And she just kind of molded over and she was changed majors and she went to FIT. Awesome. And then she just curated this the best store ever. I mean, I help her build stuff and I'm still like the the Schneider, the handyman in the place. You know? <laughs> She'll just be like Hey, on Thursday, what do you think about changing all 12 of the lights out in the ceiling? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm psyched. You can do all that, right? Electricity and all that stuff? Yeah. That's all. And that's all self-taught. Yes. That's amazing. I so mean, you, I, I call like Cousin Joey if I need help or somebody. <laughs> you do plumbing too? I not. I don't sweat pipes. I, I can change out like toilets and sinks. Okay. And I do tile. I do carpentry. Painting, flooring, stuff like that? Yeah. Wood that's floors. so sick. Super DIY. Yeah, all self taught. You watch YouTube videos? Well, I, no, it's before YouTube. I just mm. learn. I I do. I I watch YouTube videos for like, if like um, this is gonna sound so like bougie, but like if I have like trouble with my boat engine or something, mm. and I'll go, oh, why is why is that happening? <laughs> and then I'll call somebody. I have a lot of guys. Okay. My my wife would say I collect people. Okay. Like you do too. You collect, totally. You collect more than me. <laughs> but I have guys for everything. That's awesome. And we're about fixing car engines and stuff like that. I'm not good at that. And I usually, I got rid of my, I was doing a little bit of that when I had a vintage car. I had a 63 box over like I was telling Moon today. But, and I was in a, in the Rumblers and it was like, there was 12 guys and it was cool. And uh, we, I do body work. I do more of that where it's like more like sculpting or art. I can understand yeah. that. I'm not the most mechanical person. There's like two or three boat trick engines that I understand. Yeah. And that's how I troubleshoot it. If it's past those, if, if I can't get it working with those three tricks, I'm just called mechanic. Okay. But and you're a good cook too, right? I'm a, I, I'm a great cook. <laughs> and you've been cooking your whole life too? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I get some lessons, man. I'm terrible at cooking. I'm man. a jack of all trade master. Yeah, you really are, man. I try. You do everything, man. Handyman, I wanna, everything. Now, uh, yeah, I want to be like an off-the-grid self-sufficient uh, I want to like, you know, learn how to can things. Mm. I don't know that stuff. I'm into like kind of st started slowly getting not like in a uh, barrier weapons uh, kind of a way, but more of like an off the grid way. Mm. You have like a crazy seller with stuff in there. No. Yeah. Or like maybe a shelf. <laughs> not like no a, underground tunnels. Yeah. Not like a two year supply of rhubarb. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, maybe some tomatoes. I like uh, gar gardening. Um, what are some of your daily rituals? I know you're a coffee guy. Two coffees. Shits, coffee shits after, totally. and then I'm then I'm ready to do the water first. Water, coffee Boy. shits. I do intermediate fasting, so I don't eat until twelve. Sick. But uh, ritual is waking up, taking my uh, my kid to school, or watching my little son while my wife takes my kid to school, feeding them, hanging out with them. I don't have to leave for work until like. 10 30 or 11 o'clock usually oh, good, yeah. so i get time in the morning um work out sometimes if my kid will let me if he goes to bed a little cardio haven't really been doing a lot of that <laughs> um no time and then i work monday tuesday wednesday maybe good. an hour of uh tv when i get home with mary with a little hour couch time chatting. yeah and then try to it's pretty boring life gonna go to bed and then on the week uh then on the weekends we go upstate. 
and it's nice up there. It's I do a lot. Of, I do. I'm still working a lot up there. So there's a lot of barn stuff, house stuff, landscape stuff. Um, trying to uh, you know build, make a future, a project for the future, yeah. for long term for the kids and passive income and that kind of shit. Yeah. Um, do you have any uh, any uh, major regrets in your life? Uh, losing my hair so early, I couldn't control that. What year was that? I was like 19, I think. It started exploding off my head. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I've, I probably have some regrets with um, relationship choices. Yeah, I have yeah. that. Um, not um, learning about certain, you know, like we said before, like, you know, 401ks or IRA, money issues yeah. early, being ignorant about stuff like that. Um not really too many. I don't really live in regrets. I just figure it should happen. It happened. Yeah. But I don't really regret much. Mostly just a few bad choices, but you try to learn from them. Yeah. What do you think it is with your band and the legacy of it? Why it's still relevant? Why people still care? And you ever think about that? Or probably how the, the in connection, the impact, maybe the stuff you were singing about back then is still happening, maybe even more? Or I don't know. Probably my voice. Okay. So <laughs> it's so fantastic. It's your voice. It's probably it's so good. Um, I think it's probably. <laughs> uh, you asked me a question like that. I have to say something stupid. No, it's just okay. how I'm built. I I I don't know. I think the songs uh, and the themes and the ideas are universal and kind of timeless. Yeah, and yeah. they can stay contemporary. I mean, they're they're kind of some of the ideas like we were talking about. You know, the stab in the back thing or whatever. Like, yeah. Or they're some of the ideas are juvenile, and um, but cats and dogs is so relevant now. Degradation, all these, all, all those songs are just yeah. You know. But that's but but a lot. But you know, hardcore and punk was that. It was questioning yeah. things, and it was, you know, it was you just questioned everything. Like seven seconds, you know, it's not yeah, just boys' fun. Totally. You know, I mean, that was that was early, and maybe that was controversial, but it just. You know, and we were like, fuck yeah, we want more girls at shows. Like, yeah. are you kidding me? This fucking sausage fest every every night. Yeah. <laughs> Shit wasn't cool. But, and the same thing, like we were talking about, um, you were talking about that band Zulu today. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, there's, there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, black, we had a lot of Spanish in New York and some Asian, but there wasn't a lot of black hardcore guys. It just wasn't done. It wasn't their thing it was like they were in their hip-hop in new york they had some dudes were into metal but you know then it started happening and it's slowly and now there's you know besides the bad brains obviously yeah but um you know the goats they're the they're the best but you know now that that's kind of happening and uh like we were joking in the car it's like yo you know white dudes had a good run in hardcore mm -hmm. it's like it's for everybody now fucking speed you yeah. know, it's it's mixed now, and and all the uh, all the girls fronted bands. Yeah, it's beautiful, man. It's a sick because it's a sick time. Bands were singing about that back then. Walk together, rock together, and all those different songs. But really, we're seeing a lot of that but diversity. For, you know, yeah. But for years, I would just when we were playing shows, or we'd like be playing these good shows, and I'd be like, "What the fuck? Why can't like a bunch of sixteen year olds just?" Fucking figure out three fucking chords and mm. do it. Like it's hardcore. It's just do it. Yeah. And then you know it took an extra, <clears throat> you know, ten years. Now and it's, half, it's crushing. Yeah. You know where I'm just like I'm. You know I'll be in the backstage room and I'll hear something. I go, what the fuck? I go walk out like on stage and watch. And I go, damn. It's cool, man. It's cool. Everybody has their own style. Everything. Yeah. You know? 
Um, are you an optimist or pessimist? I am. I'm a negative optimist, <laughs> right? When it's you the first for that one, when you you, I think you would agree. I'm a negative op. I'm, I I can always find what's wrong pretty quick, but I am always very optimistic. I think like <laughs> I think like I don't think humans are you know bad. I don't think the world's gonna end. I don't think you know. We're gonna let the the planet fall apart. Yeah, I feel that people will be fine, and we'll be fine. I think we have to, uh, me included, have to be a little gentler, a little bit less what I was when I was a kid, and what I was raised as. I have to be smarter, have to be kinder, and I think um, everybody could use a little bit of that without the without the softness yeah because yeah. i do believe that you know as uh men or fathers or parents we do have to we have a role mm -hmm. and we uh i'm cool with my assigned role as a father and a provider or a parent and that's not taking anything away from women or my wife or her or what she can do or what women can do and uh you know and your wife included i've known moon for as long as i've known you yeah and she's always held it down totally and and i also you know i always have after you watch your wife give birth totally you, you fucking realize you're nothing yeah <laughs> you don't so you're 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 a, you're a donkey in the field really mm. you're just a workhorse and that's your gig because you can't create life like that so I just that's how I mean how I feel. I'm a, I'm optimistic that things are going to be cool, that people are going to enjoy themselves and take care of one another. And I think there's always going to be pushback. I think this next generation coming up of kids there might be some pushback with um you know with like how the PC how PC things are now. And cancel culture it's all that stuff yeah yeah i think i think there's going to be pushback on cancel culture and it's I already happening i think too yeah yeah and it's but you know the it's fucking tough because you know being a teenager or in your early 20s with every ounce of information at your fingertips totally your brain can't process it it's a lot it's been 10 or 15 years in the entire history of human race that you've been able to be as smart as a computer. Yeah, yeah. It's like we're not geared for that. You don't have to retain anything anymore because mm. you don't have to remember it because you can just look it up again. So it's, it's pretty fucking crazy. It's yeah. really crazy. I mean, these, like these conversations, it's like, why do I have to study this? I can look it up. Yeah. And then people are there's, and the other answer is, well, maybe we should teach these people how to be, how to farm, or make a fire, and go back to grassroots learning. You know, yeah. I mean, I even have I yeah I have dudes come up to the house like that guys in their forties, but who were raised on computers and and smartphones, and they're like, "You, what do you mean you put up the wallpaper?" Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> bro, you know how fucking easy is the wallpaper? Or like, you built that shelf, and it's yeah. like, yeah, man, you don't have tools. Yeah, no, damn. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, okay, technology's kicking ass, but. Is it the best thing? Like, we, there's got to be a balance. Mm. I'm a complete fucking Luddite, you know, but I'm just like, like, I don't go home and 
check my you know my emails or check your DMs or messages from I, people. Just my phones, but I just have my like phone. Instagram, I don't you check messages from yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, I answer people. You answer people, yeah, most of the time. If it's something stupid, do you ponder? You do I respond to a negative comment or anything like that? No, or? no. I mean, I'll be like wise ass. Yeah. You know, like someone said, uh, like last night, someone was like, I put the post up that the show sold out, and they were like, I hope it's a good turnout. And I said, I think sold out's a good turnout, (laughs) but thank you. And he's just like, I just got here. Looks pretty good. (sighs) And I was just like. I just want your attention and conversation. I know, I know, but I don't have time for that shit because I wasn't, I'm not this generation. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, don't waste my time with stupid shit. You got something to say to me? Ask me and I'll tell you. What about your kids? Are they only to be on the iPads now and stuff like that? When we're in a, in like a situation where we can't be present. Yeah. The, yeah. It's like a negative reward where it's like, <laughs> Hey, why don't you go watch a show or yeah. something? But like my uh, eight year old's day will start with like breakfast and then like, okay, you got, even though it's summer, it's like, all right, you, we got to do your eight times tables and seven times tables. And then if you don't fuck it up, you can do something, you know, but she plays just like some games and shit, but they're out, cool. they're outdoor kids. They, they get outside and get after it. Yeah. Especially like your spot upstate. It's probably nice. That's what it is. It's just, they, yeah. yeah my, they just walk out. They just want to be outside. It's crazy. We spent most of our lives outside. No phones, just playing, skateboarding. Yeah, that's everything. the kind of existence we're trying to give her. And like, and luckily we have some friends upstate that have the same kind of thing where the kids are just doing it. I but mean, it, yeah. TV is fucking TV. Everyone's going to watch TV and movies are fucking fun. Yeah. And you need to shut your brain off sometimes too. Kids can't be going hard. Hundred percent. Like, shut your brain off. Relax. What if they want to do music? Be supportive. Uh, Bella, my oldest kid, she's a great singer, but she doesn't do it anymore. And she and um, but I don't know. I kind of fucked that up with my oldest one, where she was like, I want to be be like a painter, an artist, and I was like, I literally said, you can't make a living as an artist or a, a musician. And she just looked what? at me and I was like, don't judge what I did because it was timing and it was just mm-hmm. a lucky. But yeah. as I said that, you know, so it was kind of like, what are you talking about? Fuck. But I want, you know, because you want what well, you don't have. You want your kids to have stability. Yeah. You want them to have, uh, you know, a fucking, I don't know, not a shitty job. But yeah. Like stability. But if you, you know, but that's the thing too. If like, if you, you work hard enough and you play your cards right, your kids can be straight too. Totally. Well, fuck, yeah. I appreciate you being here, man, for these two hours. We have a show to play tonight. We, we have been a, this for we four do. years. And um, would you have any top, last thing, maybe like top five inspirations or artists or anybody or? Um, artists, like, well, my favorite probably painter is like Jean-Michel Basquiat. I like, he's... So exciting to me. I have a lot of tattoo artists and oh, yeah. people that inspire me. Um, you know, simple old old ideas like the simplicity of like a, a Dan Higgs kind yeah, of tattooer. Awesome. Um, and great band Lungfish. And great band, yeah. He's 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 um, a great artist. Um, music. I've run the gamut from, you know, like. A, Johnny Cash to Sick. Depeche Mode to it's awesome whatever. But what is or, something you listen to that people are like? Oh shit, Sibling like, GB listens to that. Lily Allen. Okay, say <laughs> something like that. <laughs> uh, I still we still have uh, you know like fucking DMX is still my guy. Sick. He's my favorite. Favorite MC. 
I think so. Yeah. I like Biggie, but yeah. DMX just does it for me. All right. So you still um, listen to hip hop here and there. At, at work, we listen to music eight, ten hours a day. Yeah, I'm so sure. we have to put a lot of things on. We still listen to music, new stuff. Um, That's cool. And, um, but through hardcore, kind of like what we, we've been talking about, the for me, besides like the Chromags and Agnostic Front, like Murphy's Law, the original Seeds, mm. the guys who changed my existence were Youth of Today. Yeah. Because they took me out on tour. For sure. Um, as a roadie in 87. and um, Judge. Judge, of course. But we did, I, those guys, I actually, it took, I when I was on tour, in 87 as a roadie, I don't know what made me do it, but I kept a journal. That's awesome. And I took a camera with me. And I kept all those things in a footlocker trunk that I probably had. It was my dad's from like Korea War era that I probably had since we lived together. It's amazing. And uh, my friend Patrick finally got me to sit down and write down all those thoughts and ideas. And there's there's now a book about my summer in '87 as a ro- as a roadie, and it's what's it called? Um, it's called um, a roadie's tale. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it, the title's longer than that, but it's basically a roadie's tale, um, and because it's not about me, and it's not it's my perspective as. Uh, a roadie but it's based on the journals it's awesome so it's every day of the tour um and then i was able to talk to some of the guys in the band and my friend rj that's cool and we and uh i would you know read them something or send them something that was written and they'd expand on it so i didn't want it to be everyone's collective idea of the tour because then it becomes too um it comes disjointed. I just wanted it to be from the journals as they were and what the what was important to me at the time to write about. Okay. So there's, you know, fight stories, Sick. breaking down stories, great show stories, girl stories. You have to run the stories by the people involved to make sure it's cool to put it out. I didn't even fucking think about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is my it's my okay. it's my thing and uh <laughs> People are named. Okay, fuck it. And um, listen, it happened, and there's nothing bad. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was yeah. it was it was an innocent time, but like all the stealing from health food stores and eating and surviving and time having no money, time to remember together. Yeah, it's the the us working in a junkyard together. Holy shit! To get money to fix the van, you know, like just doing it. And so this is out soon. When's this out? It's gonna be. It's gonna. It's being made right now so we're going to set up a, a pre-order pre- link pre-order link Sick. and if yeah yeah if you if you would um help me do that that would be great of course. i'm going to do it too but i'll send it to you is it a website or something or uh yeah it's going to be through the link will be on my instagram okay and then it's going to have a like a web page where we can order through tribal publishing okay which is our friend patrick ketzel he's uh making books Oh, hardcore. Oh, Kitzel? Kitzel, yeah. Okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, Patrick's doing it. Hardcore German dude. Reaper Records. Yep, Reaper right, Records. Cool. So it's all like DIY style. Awesome. And uh, yeah, Patrick was the one that was like, fucking do it. And that was it. So yeah, I'll set up the link and it's going to be good. It's going to be out 
uh, it'll be in the flesh in September, and we'll hopefully have like a book release in New York with the guys from Youth of Today, the original dudes. So like a book reading, like a thing? Yeah, like all the guys still okay. signing and like maybe a reading. That's we're, we're working cool. it out. We'll, I'll, I'll send you info. Or like a memoir time. or some book that someday would you write about your life? Um, I what I have planned if this does well, and I think it's it's cool. I mean, it's the first um, attempt at this, but it was really fun. Yeah. Uh, I I also have my journals from the first GB tour in 1989. That could be part two. That would be part two, and I have my journal in 91 from 89 in Europe. So this is, this is a trilogy here. This is There's going to be a trilogy, <laughs> and then there That's might cool. be something in between. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of falling in love with the idea of uh, of of writing uh, all this stuff down because I kept all the all the pictures, all the all I have all the flyers from the shows still. You know, I'm, I'm a hoarder. I love that, dude. So it's, and then we reached out to BJ Pappas and got some from the first CB show of the tour, and she took beautiful pictures. Amazing photographer, shout out to BJ Pappas. And we have, uh, yeah, we should call BJ and make him come out tonight. Oh yeah, shit. And um, it's nine o'clock. And, and this, oh no, we gotta go. I'll shut <laughs> up. I gotta take a shit and get ready for the What's show. What's the matter? What's the matter? Why? Well, we'll play the ten twenty. Who's saying to get? Who's saying that? Who's calling? Mike called me, and then called. Is everything cool there? I mean, I guess. Let me stick by the pod, man. Sib, thank you so much no. fucking for being here. We talked about this for four years. I love you. I appreciate everything you've done with music. No sweat. What you've done for my life at a very young, as a young person and taking me in on your wing and inspiring me to start my band. You know I'm only a year older than you. You always like, took care of me when I was young. <laughs> Motherfucker acts like I'm like 75 years old. Yeah, but you have the old. job. You're responsible. You're like the guy. You're like the man of the house. Okay. At the I'll GB house. So it's like, when I was, when I, when I was young and innocent, <laughs> you... And you were on your third marriage. and But all your ball breaking throughout the years with me, like I appreciate you inspiring me to not just focus on one thing, do other things, excuse me, besides my band. And ball really breaking like, is just meant in love to make you uh, snap out of fantasies. That's it. what we do to each other. Yeah, it's to make, give, give me tough skin, though. I appreciate you it. You got to be tough. When I came there from Maryland, you guys fucking do it. <laughs> a wise man once said, life's hard, you got to be hard, too. True. Boom. Well, that's a great ending on this podcast. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sib. Love you. Appreciate you. Man. Love you too, buddy. That was amazing. Thanks for having me on. Peace. Peace. I was like so fucking weird to like set up. Uh, Sib, do, yeah. do a mic check. Check one, two. Oh, check yeah. We're good. Two. Okay, okay, bet. Cool. Okay, cool. Okay, so <clears throat> back in the podcast, my brother Siv, we did this podcast one week ago, the night of our LA show, which is a fucking incredible show, incredible whole night of, it was just an amazing night, man. It was such a good weekend. Denver was great. Santa Cruz, Berkeley, playing these four shows you do was fucking. It's just a perfect combo. I feel it's just super fun. Santa know? Cruz, Santa Cruz was fucking weird, but it was cool. It was cool in a weird way. It's just like a weird vibe. Different. Weird, yeah, different. It was just weird. It was like it was like you felt like um, it felt like when you used to do old tours and you didn't know what the hell you were going to get into. Yeah, <laughs> and like any any weird shit could happen, and you and you're like, okay, now I'm in the basement of a VFW hall with like. Flags and and a weird super giant super DIY kitchen. super DIY yeah so so super DIY and my friend was, but, was there from uh, Good Riddance. he said yo that venue is just old school and that's just how it's always been you know it's just how it sounds and that's how yeah it is, that's you know? everyone's like that's like where they did shows and it's like a hardcore show place and that's cool no it was good it was really fun the shows are great um, yeah audiences but, were so good yeah it was so good and it, it, it's interesting with this pod is like 
I mean, we did that leading up to the show. We were here in my house for like two and a half hours eating food, fucking then go play the show. And then sometimes you forget about things. And some of the best conversations obviously were had off a of podcast, but there was some really great stories that you were telling backstage with Henderson and just, just some gems that I felt were key to come back and hop on. And one of them was um, kind of like one of the first kind of punk rockers that you actually saw and became friends with was Anthony Kamenali. Um, yes, and I heard you talking about him having like a br- a brown Trans Am and a leather jacket and spiky <laughs> hair. Yeah. Kind of sound like the punk rocker from uh, the Breakfast Club in a sense. He was he was he was definitely like an outsider kind of a guy when you looked at him. Yeah, and he but he you know what it was his sister, his older sister Christina, had like a super. Um, cool vibe and she was always like into like cool haircuts and she was into punk early she was older than anthony so she kind of let him in i think Mm. in a way and but yeah i mean the first time i saw him he had like a fucking it was winter and he had a cowl neck sweater on and (laughs) and like spiked spiked soap spiked hair and um, he had his leather jacket on that was like hand painted on the back and he had on like army pants and I never saw like docs before, you know, and he had yeah. like ox bloods, ox bloods on. And when he looked at me, I had on a blue Navy trench coat and like a Tony Hawk haircut. And I had on uh, my Timberlands that I spray painted black. <laughs> Cause I, I, I didn't know how to, I didn't know where to buy docs or, or army or like MC boots. And he just gave me a and, and walked out of the store um but you know <laughs> i didn't i looked like a fucking poser was he was he and, was he uh, hanging out the laundromat too or no 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 he was in a story he was yeah. hanging out in a story he lived in jackson heights but on 92nd street we were on 77th street and um he just came i think he saw me and then you know probably asked around and was like are there fucking punks over there now like what's going on so he just drove over one night we used to skate behind the laundromat where the loading docks were. I don't know if you remember, like back there, it was just like garbage can, like the big green garbage cans. And it was just like a bunch of fucking like old car, like, you know, disabled cars and yeah. just loading docks and um, some trucks. And we would try to like jump off the, the loading bomb docks drops. or skateboard, do bomb drops or like run off it. And you know, yeah, that, that kind of shit. Like things <laughs> that people who keep you for people who can't skate, like tricks that we do. <laughs> jump on a bench and land on the skateboard. Hopefully land on stuff. it. And yeah, and and he yeah he rolled up and just asked if we were, we were into punk rock and he had a fucking brown Trans Am, and uh, and then he like got out and just started talking to us about stuff and uh, just you know that was it. He had like a new crew, not in Astoria, to hang out with. He used to take us. We used to pick us up at school, and we would jump in his car really quick. Like it was like we got out of two sixteen. And senior year, and he and the and like the like all the girls would get out, uh, and all the guys, well, everybody would get out, but we were going for just look at the girls at um, St. John's in Astoria. So we'd fucking hustle over to Astoria in like 10, 15 minutes, and we'd post up outside, and Anthony would get out, lean against his car, and every girl that walked by, he'd like either know or like say something to or like holler at. <laughs> and and uh, all the punk girls, all the new wave girls, would like come and hang out by the car. Wow, that's and, some movie shit. It was. It was like being in a movie. And then, like, he, then when he got like Diva, he would bring Diva with him. He had like a white pitbull in the back of the car. And uh, it was just, you know, it was just like a, a cool neighborhood guy that we were like friends with. He was a few years older than us. And he just like, but he, he would make us, you know, know stuff 
Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he was the first guy that I ever saw that was like completely 100% open about pornography. Wow. And ma- masturbation. Wow. He's like an older brother. <laughs> he was, He's like kind of like an older brother figure in a sense. He he was. Like I went to his house <laughs> I went to his house for the first time. He had his mother and his father had this really cool aesthetic and the house was cool and his his mom would always move everything around. Like you'd go there and like the whole living room would always be changed constantly. She'd move the whole everything. It's just to like chop it up. And I went upstairs into his room. And he had, it was just covered in records and like fanzines and flyers and dirty magazines and porno tapes and like fucking like Vaseline. And, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I was like, your, your mother's going to come in here. And he's like, what do you think my mother doesn't, my mother doesn't know I jerk off. <laughs> wow. And I was like, oh my God. And he was like, well, you don't jerk off. And I was like, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> and then he's like, well, do you? And I was like, yes. And he says, all right, at least fucking admit it. And I was wow. like, oh my God. Yeah. He so was made it okay to talk like, about it kind of. Yeah. Yeah. You were that age. You didn't really talk about it. No, and hell then, no. And then we were over his, we were over his house for Christmas and his grandmother turned the TV on. And it was still set like for the VCR and she turns the TV on like just, you know, the big fucking like wood TV in the middle of the room and just straight porn is on. Like just this guy fucking railing this, this woman out. Holy shit. And his grandmother's like, ah, and his mother's like, ah, daddy. and he's like, I forgot. I forgot. He takes the tape out. It's fucking crazy. Holy shit. Yeah. Just he's fucking, I mean, that's why people that are like, Oh, Anthony's like crazy. So you gotta see him. When he was twenty, that's fuck. And then also we, we didn't talk a little bit, but the pyramids were a big thing. I remember Ernie took me skating to the pyramids in Queens. That was like a yes. a sick spot. What part of Queens was that? That was in Astoria. That was okay. right down the block from uh, our first drummer George Mingasopoulos, GM two. His house was mm. on the corner there, and that where everybody used to bomb that hill. And um, everybody would go to the pyramid. Well, not everybody could skate the pyramids. I mean, I found it impossible. But some skaters, street skaters, would would go there to skate because it was such a crazy. They were just crazy, like they were like tiny banks and like yeah. severe angles. No, it was it was interesting transition. I remember going there for the first time with those guys too, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Ernie Ernie could crush it. Johnny Steigwall could crush it over there. Timmy Chunks probably got good at it. But those guys grew up skating that. Yeah. Eddie Leeway would always skate down that block. Wow, I didn't skate it too. That's cool. Yeah, he would like. I, I think he was more like a uh, like me, like a transportation skater. Mm. But he, he would always just be, you know, carving S's down that big avenue. And they had it timed. They knew the like light, like Ernie and some of those guys would stay up on the other corner, and then like the light would be green. They'd count it off, and then they'd just fucking pump it and just fly down that hill as fast as they could, wow. like crouch down. And they'd be look like they're about to go through a fucking green light at the intersection, and then like you know or a red light at the intersection and then light would change like the last second they were about to like fly through it damn so it was pretty cool it's fucking awesome i remember skating with jason crackdown once on long island he had like this little cement kind of ditch thing by his house he was a good skater for sure for jay crackdown yeah no richie richie, richie my bad my bad richie crackdown yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. richie richie was he was a ripper. Richie was a good skater he was he was fucking he would like he would just skate hard like slam his fucking like it was no he was doing it or fucking getting hurt yeah, he had that chain on his guitar. Richie Crackdown was cool. He was definitely first cool. time. First time I met Timmy Chunks and Devil, they were skating a half pipe, 
in Queens, like under like a tree somewhere. Someone <laughs> built so random. And devil, devil had like overalls, and and he kind of like had like longer hair in the front, like almost like a skater cut. He was big and not like he is now, but he was still like a big dude in overalls. And he was fucking like doing fakies on the like up the whole ramp. And I was like, look at this motherfucker. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I remember moving to New York after I really was a skater in, in Maryland and stuff, and it was hard to find like uh, half ice. But I did skate one with chunks once. I think that might have been in Queens. There wasn't many half yeah, ice back then. It was mostly street. Yeah, we most we had in our neighborhood, someone had like a quarter pipe up, and we like tried to just you know go up there, turn around, come down. Now, now but, to um, now to switch stories on my list of stories. Do you remember um on the on the tour we did in Europe when Rusty hijacked that tractor and we drove around? Yeah, yeah. That was that was the most county moment ever. Yeah, we're we're hanging out at a festival, and it's like I don't know what we're bored with. It was a tractor, and I think you or somebody said, "Here, Rusty, you know, you know, how to, you know how to drive a tractor." And like a couple minutes later, Rusty's on that shit. Rusty was just like, "Of course, I can drive a tractor." And I remember Austin, Charlie, were on the back of that shit, like just cruising around the festival, and Rusty was driving us. It was oh. like, uh, it was it was very uh, footloose. It was like yeah. stolen tractor. Um, and then another thing I want to ask about it too is that. Um, We'll go back and forth a little bit, but just tattooing, just how tattooing's changed dr- dr- drastically with, you know, portfolios or people's Instagrams now. People are getting their face in their hands. They're getting that, just to call it like the warp Tour bodysuit, like uh, oh, yeah. gloves and mittens. Is there certain tattoos, like, if you, will you tell somebody, like, hey, I don't think it's a good idea to do your face for your first tattoo, or? It's, I mean, I, I definitely won't do, like, a first one, but there's, you know, especially uh, girls and women will come in and they have shit on their side of their ears, their necks, their fingers, like little, Damn. you know, tattoos for like people who don't want to get tattooed. You know, it's very it's hot. It's a new right thing. Now. Yeah. It's like, it looks like pencil drawings almost. Yes. Yes. Yeah, like little tiny and, or just going to someone who's like doing hand poke out of their house and like just yes. getting your hands done, your face done. It's just like, yeah. So I kind of like, I, I try to explain to people that living, heavily tattooed is different but nowadays it doesn't really seem like it is yeah like i mean shocking anymore it's not really yeah i mean i think when like you or i take our shirts off it's it's more like oh okay you guys really went for it Mm -hmm. but because it's not like just like hands or neck yeah but um i think nowadays just like if you're like an Instagram model, male or female, and you have like a, you know, a cross on your face or a black line down your face or some, um, I don't know, spider web around your fucking ear. It's just like sexy and cool. Yeah. Um, but I, but I think like, like some of this almost. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like earrings or like a, or like a Gucci bag. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I want this guy. He's, he's $1,500 an hour. And I got this cherub on my rib. And it's like, oh, cool. He's the hot. He's, the, um, he's the, yeah, the one to get done by now. Yeah, yeah. He's like works out of a hotel and he's has their champagne. So I'm just yeah. like, <laughs> I, I mean, I still, I mean, I don't, you know, me, I don't really change much. So my aesthetic is still a tattoo shop, and yeah, that's it. I mean, that's how I'm going to be until I stop tattooing. But um, I mean, I appreciate people that like can embrace like the new machines and the new aesthetics and the new, I just try not to follow trends. I just, yeah, I just want to, my fantasy is like just 
you know, do what Ed Hardy did and just be, try to be good at everything and be able to make anybody's happy you know, anyone's dream come true what they want and, and try to just do some weird shit for myself. You know, there's like a small group of interesting tattooers that I like. And sometimes I'll do something, you know, one out of a hundred tattoos that I'll post. And like some of those people will say, you know, cool or good one. And that's enough for me to keep kind of going where it's that's more cool. like a, I think about, you know, it's more about thinking about the design and having someone who has an aesthetic that you enjoy, um, you know, reach out yeah. and, and say, say like, that was cool, you know, or somebody ripped that off. That's cool. You know? Yeah, for sure. And they're like artists that you look up to still, or are you checking out new artists that are coming up? Or? Yeah. I, fo I follow a lot of new, a lot yeah. of new people that are more like folky and doing like more art stuff and doing you know, doing things I can't do, like in terms of like um, their drawing style or their the way they see things, and there's yeah. a few of those. But you know, I could copy anything, but I can't come up with things the way some of these people do because they just are so true to their own aesthetic and mm -hmm. their own mind. Yeah, and they just believe like, okay, uh, my audience will you know follow. I'm not going to try to like follow. Uh, shit to get an audience i'm just gonna make my own audience for sure and it's the it's same thing with you know music and art like that you just do what you want and, and then people who like it will you know find you totally and but i think there's the only thing is this so tattooing is so saturated and there's a lot of tattoo no, shops a lot of tattoos there's, you know? there's just so many there's you know it's probably times a thousand um you know for every one probably more than that every one when there was when i started there's probably you know uh, a thousand for every one now so it's Damn. it's crazy you think and the tv shows shops. had a lot to do with that oh of course you think that helped i think it helped ruin um help it helps the the acceptability of tattooing mm. and increased prices of tattooing but i think it ruins um tattooing in a lot of ways because he just made everybody who would have never gotten into tattoos go they, they oh, can just I, tattoo i could do that i could be on i could be on tv or mm. i could be famous or you know and not even yeah. i can tattoo just like it it just made it like rock starry or like you know it's fucking tv i mean the same thing happened with like uh people who made motorcycles you know like mm -hmm. the jesse james thing came out and then biker build off and all of a sudden everybody was a bike builder wow that's true good point yeah you know, it's just television just does that. But I think and it definitely I made mean, it made it okay for people like somebody that I see at like Trader Joe's with like a face tat or a FedEx oh, guy with a neck tattoo, like getting real jobs. Like I don't think it's really job stoppers anymore in a sense. Oh no, not at all. If anything, it yeah. enhances it. It's like, oh, that guy's a free thinker. Yeah. Let me get that. Guy, <laughs> let me get that girl. Let me get give that girl a job in human resources. She's she seems apathetic. It's kind of but, crazy though. I, that yeah, it's kind of just like artwork on skin now. It's not like. A stereotype no now it's just yeah. like it's totally normal but it's um i mean i find it more interesting when people don't have any tattoos me too just like i always respect it yeah clean canvas i like that too yeah it's great or people like don't have any of those like thinking about getting one i'm like don't do it you haven't you haven't done it yet don't do it you don't need it you don't yeah. need one either go either go bodysuit or don't forget it yeah and I, I love how you're you're still traditional in the sense i mean i waited for a long time to get I had no room to start doing my hands and you're, you're starting to slowly creep on your hands. Now you have someone. Yeah. Your neck. I just, I yeah. just started doing it. My neck, my neck, I don't care. 
like it never really bothered me i had my neck for you know i've had shit on my neck for like 20 years now but like not full yeah neck collar i like uh i like the hands just like a little bit of junk here and there yeah like russian prison kind of style aesthetic yeah, yeah but yeah. i never could picture my hands being covered all the way yeah just because i thought it would bother me but then as soon as i started getting a few of my hands i'm like i don't even notice it anymore i know i but love I waited. hands yeah yeah i just waited and uh you know i still have some space on my legs so i'll finish my legs first before i do anything do you have your ass hands. you have your butt all done too uh yeah from my back it's not totally finished but it's all it's the worst it's the worst 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 part worst thing you ever got done and i think feeling as we get older too getting tattooed definitely hurts more man depends where that because the spots we have at this age are like the worst ones to hit yeah that's the thing i have like i got like the backs of my knees to do and i'm like not looking forward to it but i gotta you know it'll get done but i just so busy and shit yeah and i just do it like i'll just do like a spurt where i'll just go like all right i'm gonna just go get like fucking five tattoos right now boom because i thought about it and i'll just do it yeah um, it's more about it's not even about wanting to get tattoos it's about just filling the space because I, I can't know it's crazy because now I had these spots like down by my Johnson that I, I told Dan I gotta hit ASAP because I just realized that <laughs> I just saw this I did the cold plunge naked my wife took a picture of me and I saw it I was like yo that looks so stupid I just gotta and it's the I didn't want to do it but I just have to do it just to fill it you know what I'm saying like it's just there did you, did you do photos post uh, cold plunge so you all shrunk up or you went right out of the sauna <laughs> <all> hot <laughs> Like you went all you went all hot and moist. No, I went fucking it, that shit. Yeah, it just, it just disappeared. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you know, Dan was like, "Great, can't wait to tattoo you, Johnson." That's what he said. He's like, "Fuck." Um, I don't know if I'd ever do my Johnson though. You, would you ever do that? No. Yeah, me either, man. I'm not doing that. It's shit. like a bump, bumper sticker on a Ferrari, man. No yeah. way. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's a good. Um, another. Now we're gonna switch to another thing. I, I remember like you've never really cared about you're kind of a hardcore hoarder you have a lot of things you saved flyers records t-shirts and all that shit but not the most serious about it because um we talked about it too off the pod like i remember going to your house and like all your seven inches of some of your records your cat had all clawed them all off you had like original pressings of a bunch of shit like to you it's just it's just stuff that you like you lived you're not really like crazy about collecting shit from your band no my no not like my I have like some sentimentality with certain things that I would would never get rid of just because they mean something to me. But I, um, you know, they're objects and material objects. And yeah. you know, I think you have to be willing to um, be able to take it if something happens to a material object. Yeah. And you real, realize you're only going to either sell it or, or hand it down to somebody, uh, you know, eventually. And, yeah. I've kind of learned, sorry, buddy. I've kind of learned through the years that, like, if you pass it on to somebody who loves it as much as you do, or more, it's it doesn't hurt to get rid of stuff. Like, yeah. I had to sell, I had to sell some records when I bought my uh, house upstate, the lake house, because I had to show money. Like, they couldn't, yeah. they were just like, you can't just invent money and put it in the bank. Like, you have to show it. So I sold some paintings, I sold some records, I chunking sold some stuff. I see. Yeah, I sold the Chunking, and I had that for. I had that was given to me by Purcell um, and his apartment uh, on, like, I guess in the Lower East Side. And we were going out to lunch with some people, and I went to his house, and he was like, "Yo, do you have one of these?" And I was like, "No," and he was just like, "Well, you were there at the recording, like, you know, take one." And I was like, "I don't fucking. I need a joke record. Like, I'm good." And he's like, just take it. It's cool. 
<laughs> I'm like, nah, I'm fine. He's like, Damn. just fucking take it. I said, I said, dude, I don't want to, what am I? And I took it and I put it under my arm and I'm like, now I'm this dick walking around <laughs> all day with a, with a fucking white record under my arm. And I was like, I don't want to be this guy right now. I want to just go out and have lunch. And he's like, just take it. And I fucking capitulated and I took it and thank God I did. But um, yeah, and just sat in a box for, you know, I don't know, th- fucking almost 30 years and I never even listened to it. Damn. It was, but I was at, you know, I was at those recording sessions. It's amazing. And, and, um, and yeah, then this collector from uh, Europe who I tattoo, he said he had three or four of them and he was always looking, he was, he's, has a, like a real job and he has, he's well off. So he was like, he's still straight edge, you know, he's in his fifties oh. and he's like an engineer and he was just like, yeah, you know, love more. And I said, well, I don't think I'll ever get rid of it. But if I do, I'll let you know. Cause I'm not going to like do it publicly on like eBay or something. Yeah. 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 I find that a little like, Poshmark. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Poshmark. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, so, um, yeah, I sold it kind of privately. And nice. then he actually, Alex, before Alex passed, he had a, uh, he asked for if Alex would sell his test pressing of it. Wow. So I think Alex sold him privately the test wow. pressing. So there was, you know, there was a few and some of the dolls and some seven inches I got rid of just because, um, you know, they, like one of my good friends is a, a machine, a tattoo machine collector. And I have so much tattoo memorabilia too. Yeah. And like way more than music stuff, like, you know, thousands of sheets of flash and wow, stuff. That's cool. But, he, um, yeah, I, you know, I'm obsessed with that shit too. But my friend sold a, a really rare Paul Rogers machine. And uh, I texted him. I said, you know, what the fuck, dude? Like, why, you know, why'd you sell that? And he was just like, um, he's like, I'm buying a house. He's like, and I said, oh, okay. He goes, you can't live in a tattoo machine. That's true. And I was so, so I used that when I, when I, when I sold the record, I was like, hey, man, you can't swim in a record. You cannot, you know? man. Damn. And, uh, and, and, and you know what you make fucking people who are way more obsessive collectors who weren't there. You, you know, were there. You lived it. It's different. It makes you know them happy. I mean? Yeah. To me, it was yeah. just, you know, I remember Anthony, actually Anthony Cominelli one day said, you know, I, I got like, um, I can't remember what record I was trying to get. Like it was like a negative approach seven inch, I think. And I got, I finally got one from like bleak or Bob's or something. And, uh, and he was just, and he was just like, yeah, I got that shit when it came out at the show. And I was just like, oh God, all right. You know, <laughs> but it, it kind of, it makes sense though. Like, that's how I bought most of my shit from, you know, too, like at shows when I did yeah. some records or whatever, you know, so it doesn't mean, you know, you get it at the time where I've had people be like, well, how do I know that this is uh you know, selling something and say, how do I know that this is a, is a real record? And I said, well, I said, I don't know. I fucking bought it from the band that show. I mean, I guess I'm not sure if you need more proof than that. Yeah, that's but it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, that's all I can say. It's my record and I bought it from the band. So. Yeah. What about T-shirts? You got crazy T-shirts too? I actually still have some, but I actually... I was reading, um, I started reading uh, the journals from the GBUS tour, the 89 tour. Yeah. And it reads differently. There's a lot 
more like time off and there's a lot more because it's not i'm not a rhodium participating in this there's yeah. a lot more it's a lot more shit talking and complaining <laughs> in in, uh, in my in the journal of my own band and yeah. uh, a lot more confusion about like why we have three days off in the beginning of the tour in florida and shit like that but at one point i was i i consciously i don't know what the fuck was going through my head but i took a bag of my old t-shirts that like i didn't care about or didn't fit into or didn't want anymore and i for some fucking reason i thought it'd be a good idea to like give them away to hardcore kids like in each at each show like oh my somebody. god wow that's stupid right jesus christ so really luckily, nice of you yeah i was <laughs> dumb but nice but um <laughs> i don't think anything too value too crazy you know probably i gave away but the only one i really wish i I had shit stolen. I had my schism long sleeve stolen um, when some Europeans, some Italians, uh, fucking Italians, or land pirates, they they would, seven inches would go missing and records would go missing and some Europeans would stay at the house. But, and then when, before Alex died, he actually sent me, uh, he stayed at the house and he gave me two, he had two original schisms and he was like, you know, you'd have one. Wow. And I tried it on and I was like, I don't know. Do I ever, I, I might wear this. But I don't know. And then I felt bad. I said, Why? I said, you want to, you're looking to sell stuff. I said, just sell it. And he was like, I'll give you one. But if you don't want it, I'll sell it. And I was like, I want it, but I just, you know, I should have kept it. I regret it mm. now, but he, he sold it. But I mean, I had it, I had it when it was, when, you know, I had it back in the day, just, you know, yeah. I had pictures of me wearing it. And, um, you know, it's it's again it's, it's a shirt it's a memory and, and you got pictures you wearing it too back in the day yeah, too. So i have like, i have uh, i have like original gb shirts that like one-offs that we made ourselves and for screens and wow i have use old use uc shirts old youth today you got the original gb demo i have three of the original demos wow. with different, different covers yeah oh, i actually roger actually te- um texted me and he's he got was a big like, collection yeah I didn't know. And he sent me a picture and he was like, Hey, I'm gonna, I think he was selling, I think he was selling it um, to somebody. And uh, he was like, you gave me this at a show Damn. in like, in like 1985 or like, it was like your first demo. And I said, I gave you that. And he's like, yeah, it's CBs. And I said, was I shaking like a leaf and all pale and like, crying like walking over to you like the hand i just think i can just picture me and walter being like you go give it to him no you give it to him no, you give it to him you give it to him but uh yeah he's like yeah i kept that shit and uh yeah. he's like i have all that stuff and i was and he sent me pictures and i was like oh my god but no it was i had a i had a hundred bootleg seven inches that i was going to bring and sell at a show for like five dollars somebody bootlegged them like 20 years ago and jordan confiscated them and um they had these weird like yellow or orange covers and roger hit me up and said hey i don't have one of those and i said why why would you want one and he was just like (laughs) i had he's like and he was like i have all your shit he's like i have all the gb records and i don't have that and i said how many do you want (laughs) because i have and i sent i just sent him some Oh, that's but, awesome. You know, it's fucking Roger. So Dude, it's, it's like, dirt. yeah, it's like that means more to me than anything that Roger would give a shit and keep a fucking demo tape. Like that's more important to me than having a demo tape. Yeah. But yeah, I have, 
we had like three different covers. One said like by Nabisco. One had like a weird gorilla like new wave looking drawing, and then one was the regular like dude. But I mean, we yeah. used to just make make them. I used to speed dub them in my. I was I only wanted like a stereo with a double cassette. So you'd make the dubs like that. Wow. Yeah, we went to 34th Street, and there was a store that sold um, cassettes and like bulk, like in like a like shrink wrap. Yeah. And I would do that, and then we would speed dub them at my house before like we would play the show, and then I would. I actually have it still. I have a master copy of like the demo, like on one piece of paper. It's like two of the demo covers and yeah. we would take it across the street and copy it and then cut them out and I'd fold them up and make demo tapes before we went to shows. Crazy, man. Fuck, kill, killing the merch game. <laughs> always killing the merch game. <laughs> always, killing, always killing it, selling like five demo tapes. Um, I'd do the same thing. I'd make them and go down to some records and give them to Dwayne. Oh yeah, some records. Shit, that was an amazing spot too. Ninety-nine next, damn dude. Fuck yeah. Was, um, all right. Well, appreciate your time. The last story I just want to go real quick with you is you told an amazing story uh, in my voice, uh, and you were witness to this. We had no phones, we had no cameras back then. The night I met Madonna, I was with you. Um, <laughs> it was CBGB's. Uh, it was the night yes. before either Lollapalooza got that rained out or something. It was Booyah Tribe, I think. I think you, you knew it better than I did, but you told it so well. And you're, and so you're, I in, in, again. In, in my memory, Let's go. it was 1992 and we were, I, and it was because that's when I started tattooing. And I think we were at my apartment and I was either tattooing somebody and we were hanging out cause we always wound up there and listened to like social distortion over and over. Yes. And, and we heard or someone called, someone found out that Booyah tribe was playing at CB's and it was going to be, I remember something to do with CMJ where like people were doing like their things trying to get signed Mm. and Maverick was looking at Booyah tribe and supposedly Madonna and guy Osiri were going to be there to watch them. And so you were in full panic mode because you knew, you you, you knew Madonna as you would call her sometimes when you're excited. You have an R in there. So Madonna, Oh, oh man, Madonna's going to be at CB's. So we stopped what we were doing and we went to go find Madonna. And Brendan always worked the door at CB's. So even if it was like a closed event, he uh, he knew it was, you know, hardcore yeah, guys were just yeah. going to bother him until we got in. So Brendan SFA. Yeah. And that's how we got into that social D thing too. It was like band courtesy. Oh, that's right. That was, yeah, that you posted, you tagged me the other day. That was so sick. I remember being there. Yeah, awesome. I, Brendan would just go, oh, go ahead, you dicks, like go, go in, and um, so yeah, so we went in, and there was like no, I kind of remember like not many people being there. It was an industry thing. We sat at the tables in yep. the back on that raised tier. We never do really ever set the tables at CBS. Yeah, never. No, we were that like. Remember, it was across from the bar. It was like raised. Yep. It was like just like a row of tables, and you sell merch up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we posted up up there, and I think like. Conan was with us. Tom yeah. was with us, probably, and maybe Fern. I think Fern might have been with us because okay. that was like another guy that was always hanging. Yeah. And um, they played, and they had like they had like sexy dancing girls on stage with them, and they were doing their thing. And then they were almost done. I don't think she stayed till they were done. And then they walked out. It was her and just uh, Gaussari, maybe like one handler dude, no security, nothing. 
and that's you you went into full panic mode jumped down kind of cut cut them off and you were like whisper talking in a strange uh way and you were like in a, like and you were holding a pen really tight and i don't know if you had to sign a record or a picture no i had a, a, I had a, I had a picture in my wallet i carried on me yeah you had you gave her something to sign and you had like a blue like a blue big pen and you pushing the cap on so hard and you were like oh madonna madonna i love you so much i fucking love you can you sign this picture for me i showed her my tattoo was, too too i showed my tattoo. yeah you, yeah, yeah. Uh, you had the yeah the tattoo from josh and, yeah, yeah. and she and uh and she was you know ultimately like the coolest of cool and yes. she's just staring at staring at you kind of smirking yes. not weirded out at all just kind of like enjoying the fucking the craze. craziness of it all yes. just the craze the craziness <laughs> of being in cb so like a bunch of dudes standing around they're just completely cool as a cucumber La, lower east side queen and uh she was trying to get the blue cap uh, the pen off the cap the cap off the pen and she couldn't get it off because you pushed it on so hard <laughs> and, and you were like and you just kept mumbling i love you i love you so much i love you so much <laughs> and, she, and she was like Toby, if you love me so much, get this fucking cap off this pen. Damn. And then, and then you put it in your mouth and you pulled it and you gave her the pen and she signed it. Yeah. And then she, you know, smiled and said thanks and left. And we followed her outside and they got creeps. into a total creeps, you know, but it was, we were leaving anyway, but we uh, were definitely being creeps and we followed her outside, but we, good thing we did because then she got in an all blacked out, murdered out Mercedes and they got in and she was in the back passenger side and she rolled down the window and looked over at us and she smiled and waved all cutesy and she said, bye Toby. Oh my God. Dude. And then he was like, you just basically fell out onto the floor. She, you know what I mean? Like we were, we were, I think we all were just like, God damn. Like, that was you know a what moment, I mean? Like, dude, fuck. That's a moment. That's just like that's our story. That it wasn't even that wasn't even my it. moment. That wasn't even my moment. Well, I appreciate you being here with memory. me, bud. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course. But that's it's a like, moment like not film nothing. That's just our story. Now the world knows the story on here. But like, that's like a moment. That's like a fucking crazy like random night. At that's a new. That's a New York moment. Yes. Yeah, there's LA moments and there's New York moments. But like nobody around her, no security, no nothing. Lower East Side, CBs, dude. And she's just totally cool and sweet. And like knew exactly what you needed. Yes. You know what's crazy you know what is I mean? that like after that, she came to a Roseland show to see Rancy. She wanted to sign them. I remember being on stage and her sitting in the VIP while playing. The moon was behind her, pointing that this is Madonna, like from behind. I was like, holy shit. And then after the show, we went downstairs. I'm not sure if you're with us. With Rob Vitale and Brian, a bunch of people came downstairs and she was wearing like a white see through slip because like not early 90s, that was her style, like a see through under. Like, uh, it was, oh. you know, and we went downstairs I, and Laura's like, I want you to meet somebody. She's like, I remember you. She was with Freddie Demand and she grabbed my hand and turned it over and showed him. She goes, I met you. I remember meeting you. I was like, and everybody's like, what oh. the fuck? it was a moment too, bro. Like straight, fuck. straight boner moment. And then it ended up being in one of her, uh, have like, a, um, I have like a coffee table book. I, I was reached out through the label and they have a half page in one of her, the Madonna style books. I have it here. It's crazy, bro. That's awesome. It's so cool, man. Those, those are those I had, moments. Uh, I have I, I I I'm gonna share one of my my burn memory moments if you don't mind. Yeah. This was this was I was on a plane. This is like the most like um, annoying rock and roll thing. But I was <laughs> on a plane co coming back from L.A. I was editing a a video with Mick G. 
Remember that dude? He's like he did all like um, Sugar Ray videos. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Few, he did like a Charlie's Angel movie and shit. So he 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 and we did the video and we weren't happy with it. So I flew back and I was sitting with him and trying to edit it down, make it cooler with him. And I was flying back and I was with Scott McGee and some other dude. And we ran and we were like the plane was empty. We we're coming back to New York on like a red eye, and we were in the back of the plane chopping it up. And they ran into some dude on the plane that they knew. And there was this guy in the back row and he was like kind of listening, laughing along, like nodding. And I was like, yo, dude, like, I know you, right? And he's just like, I don't, I don't know. And I was like, you're an actor. And he's like, I am an actor. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, yo, you were in fucking, you were in young blood. And you were in like Footloose, and he was like, I started like giving him some of his wow. his movies, and he was like reading. He put the book down. He's like, "What the fuck?" He's like, "You know, Young Blood." And I said, <laughs> "Yeah, man, I used to play hockey. I love that shit. That was a good movie." Cynthia Gibb, and he's like, "Whoa!" And I said, "So I'm like on the corner of the chair," but he's still there's something missing. Like there's a piece, and I'm like trying mm. to find it in my head. And I started like interviewing him, you know, and I was like, so when did, you know, what happened? He was like, I did this, I did this, I did this, I do some plays. He's like, yeah, man. He's like, honestly, it's been super hard. I haven't worked in like a long time, like in a real movie, you know, like it's, I've been working, but not like how I want to and fucking business. And, you know, he's having like a real moment, like shit was tough. So we leave, we're waiting for a car to pick us up. He's waiting, uh, to get in a car and he's under the street light, but he's like, you know, a couple hundred feet down and get, you know, he's just like, and he gets on the street light and he lights a cigarette and his hair falls like a certain way. And the way he smokes a cigarette and I go, no, and my fucking car pulls up and I go, watch my bag. And I start running down the fucking thing. And Scott's like, yo, our car's here. What are you doing? I said, like, give me a minute. So I run and he's got his back turned. I grabbed him. And I spun him around. And I said, yo, fuck you, dude. You're a wanderer. <gasps> and oh, he was one of my favorite movies of all time. Incredible right? movie. So he's, I can't remember his fucking name right now, but he was the one that threw up into the trophy and like at the girl's party in, in like the house. He was one of the main okay. wanderers. In the first scene, he's like, it looks like we have to stomp some ass and then get chased by the <laughs> I'm looking up after this. Damn. So he he starts cracking up and he's like are you kidding me and i said that's my fucking favorite movie that and the warriors like how did i not think of this like you're a fucking wanderer and he's just like first movie i ever tried out for i moved to new york in a week i tried out i got the part i did the movie Damn. and i was like I'm like dude that movie was a fucking game changer you're so fucking cool like <laughs> i I was like, I got to go. So we shake hands. I turn around. And this is only going to be for Wanderer fans, if anybody saw the movie. I run, I'm run. i running back to my car. And he goes, hey. And he's under a street light. It's like raining lightly. His hair is falling. He's smoking a cigarette. Wow. And I turn around and he goes, Wanders forever, man. Damn. Last line in the movie. Damn. And I, I, I just gave myself chills right now saying it. Wow. And at that moment, I was a wanderer yeah, you and, at right. that, and at that moment that dude knew what I needed mm. and he gave me the perfect, I mean, I'm talking about I it. Almost that, yeah. 
wanders forever, man. And that was it. And and I and he just what got in his car. That's beautiful. Like you man. can't yeah. you can't be that. Nobody can be that cool. And you had that like and that's that. another moment, just your moment, you too, that was never recording none of that shit. It's just real shit, real combo. No, yeah, just it happened. But it's that's like Goonies saying, Never like, Die type shit. Yeah, dude. Fuck. But I mean, like, think about how cool like Madonna was yeah. to you. And this dude was that cool to me. And they, they, and, just and they went, didn't like, have yeah. to be. They didn't even have to give you yeah. the time of day. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. Damn. But he appreciated he appreciated how much I appreciated, you know, him. And yeah. it probably felt good to be recognized after like not working and awesome man. you know and i'm sure madonna thought it was cool that a bunch of fucking tatted shitheads up, yeah cover cut tatted up assholes <laughs> on lower east side thought she was cool and that tattoo yeah fuck man damn yeah yeah i mean if someone gets a tattoo of you that's you know you got to be like okay you're insane but thank you well i well, i appreciate <laughs> you and um your support with my band from day one being there when i recorded my first album singing you know doing your speaking part on here take on tomorrow and then fast forward still here and like Oh, even you broke my balls my whole life. You always gave me tough love and supported my band from the jump, from the seventies. Listen, I, you know, you, you need people. You need people to break your balls, or otherwise you just get your ass kissed and then you become an asshole. So, no, I know. my my job. So you my, kept you kept my, me nice. My, Thank you. <laughs> my, my life's my, my life's mission is to is make sure my friends don't act like assholes. Well, and you well, I have, well you helped. I appreciate uh, that. And I have friends, and I have friends who do it for me. So, for sure but you've always supported my band though from jump man of course i mean what what why hate on why hate on your friends bands or music or any any of your friends endeavors friends who don't support each other are just haters so it makes me happy when you see you on stage singing along and all that shit i'm like damn this motherfucker took me in and now we're playing together it's just beautiful like how far how far we're still playing i got it years you know i i mean i know i know all the songs from all the times we played together and i have your fucking records but really that skiba part is just makes me wish i tried harder on any of your records because he just <laughs> you kind of pissed off at what an overachiever that fucking that that, that last line was in that that chorus and that verse. it's crazy because i saw him the other day and we were talking about it since i came back from these shows and just like yeah i just sent it to him randomly and he came back we sent him the bridge and he came back he had written the whole thing and just sent it back and we were like bugging on like what he wrote how it sounded yeah. like, holy shit no first Murdered time i heard it, it. I said, oh i wish i would have tried harder because i didn't try at all compared to that that was like <laughs> it pissed me off a little bit Fuck. but yeah it's it but it's a beautiful it's beautiful uh it's a beautiful sentiment sentiment and written so well where you're yeah. just like yeah well and, thank you man well thank you for everything and thank you for being the pod and yeah, I don't know, of course. Just everything playing the shows together. Our bands are such a good job. Can't look forward to do more with you. you no, know? it's good. It's good. It's good. It's a good. It's a good vibe, and it's uh, it's a good combo the two of us. And uh, New York is New York is up next. Yeah, I'm really excited, man. And uh, I'll, I'll drop a link for your book and everything on this pod. And dude, this is this was just as fun as the first combo, man. So thank you, Sabre. I appreciate your time. Yeah, I always got you know both of us have a million stories. So I'll, whenever whenever uh, we um, back, we're back in, uh, I'll do the ice plunge and we'll do another. Do a part two. Hell yeah. <laughs> Yo, you got to put an air conditioner in that fucking uh, kitchen, though. It's in there now. I just bought it today. I just bought one today. It's coming tonight. <laughs> I got the most high-end. I call my boy in Philly, and it's the most quiet high-end one because I had ended on my podcast yesterday, and I feel like I was melting. They had a great time, and I feel like they were melting, so they put their heads Who was in. it? I had, I had the whole band ended on my podcast yesterday. Oh, I love those guys. Mad cool. They, we, we talked about it in the pod. It was awesome. And after that, they, they all they, stuck they, their head great. in the cold plunge. Oh, good. <laughs> um, all right, oh, that's cool. Those guys are sick. They're really sick, but uh, yeah, I'll see you in a, I'll see you like in a month, and love you, man, and have a great weekend. All right, buddy, love you. Talk to you later. Bye.
I'm up. I'm back. Yo, we're on the pod. We're live on the pod. I got a new air condition today. I got the most high. Uh-huh. End, I got the most high end one. It's, it has, has zero sound. I just did a podcast with Speed, and it, it's it's like seventy degrees in this fucking kitchen. I'm so happy. Oh, nice. Did you have the whole band over? No, just the singer and my boy Ricky from Flat Spot Records. It was awesome, man. Cool. Yeah, but um, the two things I call back for that really, really mean much to you, but this is something I want to just say on record is that I realized yesterday when I got off the phone that the first time I ever was in a studio, first time I ever sang on a microphone was singing backups on Start Today. So whatever whatever it may be, it's your fault that um, my band started. So thank you. <laughs> That's the first time I recorded I, show was at that studio on a microphone. It's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, bro. And Don, and Don, Don Furies? Yes, sir. Yeah. Singing backups with the sick of it all guys. Um yeah, yeah, yes. Oh yeah, they're on the record too, right? Yeah, I think we, we tried to get we had to get like uh beefier sounds so we got like Pete and Norman and Lou, we gotta like get that barrel in there. Yeah, they're they're, and, they're, they're uh, just not, they're just not in the and they're not in the first top five thanked people on that record though. So I'm number three, I think. Um <laughs> Toby Closet Master, no alphabetical order. But uh yeah, that's the first time recording on a mic. And so yeah, I wanna thank you for that and that kind of like I don't know. Maybe I kicked it all off inside my head. Who knows? Who know? I remember. Um, what I remember you doing, like making your nose bleed, singing that song. My love with, is real. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, my love is real. And then my other my was with Lars. Lars, right? Yeah, do it the wet man's correct. Yeah. Crazy. Well, the last thing too is not for me. It's just it was a ball busting thing for years. You always broke my balls for wearing Nikes. You <laughs> never wore Nikes. You're always rocking New Balance or Asics. I forgot what your shoes are, but then, as of recently, I remember you sent me a text of your first pair of Nikes you bought like in 20 years. What was the crossover? Well, no, I wore Nikes. I wore my... Oh, I back had, in the day. Uh, cross-training, like the ones with the Velcro, like my favorite ones ever. Um, they had the black Velcro in, the, in like the front. And they were, like, I do remember those. They were almost like, they were, like, almost like uh, cabs. Like they were three quarters. Half cabs. Those were my favorite ones ever yeah like they were like half guys but they were nikes and they had that i can't remember what they were called uh they were like a cross trainer like the first ones and those were like the most i was couldn't believe what great fucking sneakers those were i was so cool and then i watched michael moore is the big one and it's uh about bringing jobs back to mm. flint michigan and he went to the president of nike and said we have factories we have people ready to work stop making your shoes overseas and bring them back to flint and the guy was just like people in flint michigan don't want to work people in america don't want to work he's like that's why i make my shoes for this much per in other countries and michael moore was like i have you know 500 people that signed this petition that said they would work in your factory for this much and he and the dude was just like um, I'm not doing it. And um, just the, the wow. president, I can't remember his name, the president of Nike was just such, it was so much just about the bottom line and money and business and not about, there was no human factor in it for him. And Michael Moore even said, Michael, you know how fat Michael Moore is, he was like, I will challenge you to a foot race. And if wow. I beat you, if I beat you, you have to bring a factory to Flint. And the guy was like, I'm not racing you. I'm not doing anything like it's business and i can make my shoes for you know pennies on the dollar damn and and like so i was just like you know fuck nike and gotcha. then um 
And then you gave me, I think you were the one that gave me sales pitches about how they re- repurpose them and make kids playgrounds out of them and all that kind of like. And there's a, bu- like, yeah. And there's like a bunch of places like factories where like this, the same place they make Nikes, they were making vans as well and Converse and it was all like. Oh yeah. Uh, I just, you know how I, you know, I know, I know, I hold a grudge forever. <laughs> I and I just, uh, I, and I just had a, I had a grudge, <laughs> I had a grudge against Nikes and then, uh, and then after like 25 years, I let it go. Because I couldn't find any, was, and really the reason was I was trying to find new sneakers for, uh, to go on uh, like a weekend thing of shows. My sneakers were all like blown out and fucked up because what I'll do some stupid is I'll buy new shoes and then I wear them like for the property to do work and paint something or, you know, get all full of mud and I fuck them up. And then they just, I wear them every day and then I just blow them out quick. So um, I, was uh, in my neighborhood and I was trying to go to like to a sneaker store and I couldn't find anything that wasn't like leather or suede or whatever. And I yeah. found these Nike running shoes and they were like, you know, fucking walking on a cloud and they were all, and they were all like man-made material. So I bought them. Awesome. And then, and then I bought these, those blue ones that you saw me wearing. Those, I just uh, saw, I just saw the remix where you're talking, hold your grudge. Or a side band called Grudge. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> oh yeah, I could absolutely. I would definitely be a great Grudge songwriter. Um, I don't. I only have a couple. I actually, you know, I actually uh, talked to uh, Tim Singer the other day. Oh, not talked. DM'd. Yeah, have that you, was have, a really long one. Have you ever had therapy before, or therapeutic conversations with people about? Like actual not. therapy? Yeah, just yeah, in life, yeah. I went to, I had gone to couples therapy. Okay. With and with um, my ex, and I, I loved it. And then the fact that I loved it, she hated it. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> and but, uh, it didn't last long. But music's pretty much been therapy for you, and probably throughout your life, anyway. I don't know. I don't want to really open up this can of worms. I, I try not to do too much therapy. I did therapy with my with my oldest kid. Yeah. But it was more for it was more for for them. Yeah. And I just sat in because they were underage, and we we did it together. And that was you know hard. That was hard to do, but it was sure. Cool. Yeah, but I mean, I'm personally like go to a therapist and be like, all right, man, let's unwrap this fucking. <laughs> Go back no, these thanks. layers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I know where it all stems from. I just deal with it in different ways. I think it gets easier that. as I get older. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, Sam. This is it, man. This is the call. This is it. It's out today. This is our final call, and uh, we'll do a part two. And you come back to my AC. We'll be chilling. And uh, this has been great. Thank you again. Uh, I know you're busy, and uh, yeah, I'm psyched. As the people listening now, the episode, episode, episode is out. Four years in the making. We did it. Uh, my favorite quote you know of all they, this. You know, I'm good. I'm good with that. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. Well, you know what it was. It had to be. It, it, everything happens at the right time. I know. I know. To. I know. And that's it. And that's what it was. Are you watching I mean, the fights I tonight? Um, I. You know what? I might, but I have company over. Okay. Um, Mary's friends are uh, my friends too, but her Mary's like best friend from high school is up with her kids and her husband at the lake, and my son who is a year and three, how old is he? A year and four months decided to wake me up at four fifteen. Jeez. Um, so I got, I got four hours sleep and, and, uh, I've been up all day and, uh, doing stuff running around, but, uh, yeah, I'm yawning on the couch. It's like nine 30. Oh, that's uh, right. That's time. right. 
But um, I would like to watch the fights, but I'll probably just watch them like uh, highlights. I'll forget or about it. And yeah. like, I'll watch them in a month for free, and I go, "Oh, sick, cool, sick, <laughs> sick. sick fight." All right, That's bro. What I use ESPN Plus, bro. Oh, thank you, man. Okay, yep. And have no a sweat. Gr- have a great weekend. All right, I'll see you in a couple weeks. Okay, brother. Bye. Later, bud. Peace. I always ask my guests if they have any regrets. I personally don't have any regrets. Even when it comes to my tattoos, I have the silliest tattoos. Even my ET on my leg, it's still a childhood memory for me, and I love it. I've had tattoos on top of tattoos strictly because I wanted more tattoos. I started getting tattoos when I was 18. I'm 52 now, and I can't stop. I've had laser treatment before on something on my arm. It's four tattoos on top of each other, and that experience at that place was pretty fast. It was pretty cold. It was in and out, swiped the credit card, don't really tell me much, didn't give me much details or anything was going to happen. So I never went back. So as of most recently, I'm so lucky enough to have had two sessions at Removery Tattoo Removal. My tattoo on my arm that looks like a big black blob is now super light. I've had two sessions. I have a long road ahead of me. None of this stuff happens overnight. You cannot take a tattoo up in one sitting. You have to be patient. And it's painful. They ice you up. It's super fast. To me, it felt like a bunch of rubber bands. But what's more painful than that is looking at something on your body that you think you're stuck with for the rest of your life. That sucks. But now for me, I'm really happy I started this journey. I'm slowly going to get this tattoo removed. I never thought in a million years I have any kind of real estate on my arm. I don't even know what I want, but it's exciting. I'm so honored to announce that One Life, One Chance podcast is now with Removery. I have a code. Use tobyh 20 and get $100 off your first session. Call 866-934-4570 or go to removery.com. One of the most experienced tattoo remover companies in the world. Over 600,000 remover treatments done. 100 locations. U.S., Canada, and Australia. State-of-the-art peak-away laser technology. Cryotechnology to reduce any discomfort. This is so exciting for me because all I do in these podcasts is talk about tattoos. From day one, if you've been listening to this podcast, we talk about tattoos, talk about getting removed, talk about getting covered up. So this is such a perfect fit for me. Once again, go to removery.com or call 866-934-4570. Use my code TOBYH20 and get $100 off. These guys are located everywhere. Try it out.